everyone, and welcome back to the Faculty of Horror podcasting from the horrid halls of academia. I'm Alex West with... Andrea Subasati. And I don't know if you can hear that, but we ordered fancy drinks from a nerd bar in town that comes with dry ice, so we're sipping bubbly concoctions. Yeah. Happy 2022? I think we can still say Happy New Year. Usually my cutoff is like the 15th of January, but... uh, And today is the 15th. Today is the 15th. You're right. We're recording this on the cutoff. I mean, I was just saying, like, is it a Happy New Year? No, but that it's tradition. Okay. Well, it's just like Merry Christmas. It's just something to say. <laughs> it is a new year. Uh, we are your same old hosts. We are back. Um, and we are back for our annual year in review. I love this episode. Yeah, it's a fun one. It's a great opportunity to look back, see what we loved and what we want to recommend to everyone out there. And, you know, frankly, I spent a lot of the time I did have off over the holidays just trying to catch up on stuff I had missed. And I saw some great stuff and I'm excited to talk more about it all. Nice. Uh, I intended to do that. I did not. Um... You know, last year was tough in a variety of respects and, you know, not to kick off this episode being too negative, but I have been feeling very out of step Mm -hmm. with horror right now. I have not resonated terribly strongly with a whole lot of material and with what has come out, I have felt like I've disagreed so polarizingly with the popular consensus that part of me is just kind of like, you know, is it my mood? Is it my headspace that I'm bringing into these films? Or was it just a pretty fucking poor year? I think the children are wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Which would then imply that we are old. Well, we are elders. Yes. Millennial elders. Um, yeah, no, I, I had that too. And, and I had some real high points with horror in this last year. And I think that's why I'm really excited to share this list. Not only with Andrew, we have not seen each other's lists, but also with you, our dear listener. And yeah, there was some incredible stuff. I was so surprised by some of the content I saw this year mm-hmm. and some of it really blew me away. So I'm trying to hang on to those moments that like really knocked my socks off and not the stuff that didn't. Yeah. But it does get very exhausting when you're trying to engage with this genre that you love so much, and you're just like, the hell are we talking about? Yeah. 
But that's not to say there weren't high points, as you said. And uh, yeah, I can't wait to see your list. And this is also, I think, where we kind of come up with templates for possible future mm-hmm. episodes. We don't like doing full-on episodes of content that's too, too new, that hasn't had time to breathe and kind of come out and get talked about and the story ripens. So some of these we might be talking about again in the not-too-distant future. Very true. And just to note, we will be putting these lists um, in the show notes Mm -hmm. uh, because we know you're out there doing stuff or, you know, whatever you do when you listen to a podcast. So if you miss a name or the title of something, just check the show notes and they will be there uh, so you can cross-reference and check out anything you might want to. Yeah. Or yell at us for something. I don't know. Either way. It'll get you a block and a mute, but you can do it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So... We, I think we each have nine yes. pieces of what we are calling the best of horror 2021. Yes. Uh, it's not just movies. I think there's also some series in there mm-hmm. and maybe some other stuff. Um, so I, I don't really have like a hard and fast nine to one. I do have one film I feel really strongly about at the top. So I'll kind of start maybe at the bottom of the list. Yeah, I, I think we should do that too. And I'd also like to mention that when I was putting together my list, I had so much confusion. I was, I was doing some Googling to remember what came out last winter and IMDb is notorious for listing a release date as the date that it premiered at a festival so sometimes movies do that for like two years before they're out fully so apologies in advance if some of these are 2020 releases that only came out in 2021 movies I saw early that don't come out until next year because of work and I didn't realize it but anyway or if theaters in your province are just shut down so you can't see Scream this weekend oh Alex I'm sorry. It's fine. It's fine. I'm fine. All right. What's what's your your number nine? My number nine, I think this is when I was kind of gently trying to nudge you towards. It's a series. Mm -hmm. It was a limited series so far, as they've announced. Uh, Dexter, New Blood. Hey! Awesome. I'm so glad to hear that that's good. Well, I feel like this one is very contentious. Because I'm sure some of you out there might be being like, Alex, what the fuck? So, Dexter, New Blood, um, at the time of recording this on January 15th, uh, the last episode of this series or season, whatever they're going to set it up as, has just aired. Mm -hmm. And I really enjoyed it. The season itself was kind of up and down overall. I really liked it. Um, I, you know, was a fan of the original series that lost me towards the end. But watching this reminded me of what I really liked about the original series. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, like, Michael C. Hall is incredible. Um, Having Clancy Brown in the mix. Yeah, always a big plus for me. And I don't want to spoil anything, and I'm not going to. Uh But I felt like the final episode in this series answered a lot of the questions and concerns that I had with um, Jigsaw in our torture porn episode. Interesting. The whole morality play. We mentioned Dexter a bit in that episode. Yeah, and I felt like this final episode, it brought it to a place where I was like, okay, this is not overtly saying something about it, but I think it gets it to a place where it's like, wow, this is more complicated and nuanced than had been initially put out there. And I think it's trying to kind of reckon with its past selves and its present self and what does it mean. And yeah, there is a lot of really great stuff in it. Uh, There's some like janky stuff that I didn't think quite worked, like Deb kind of showing up as a ghost. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Um, But uh, Julia Jones, who is the chief policewoman in the town, in the small town where Dexter is right now, is fantastic. She's also Dexter's girlfriend, and she was amazing, I thought. So um, 
I really enjoyed it. And if you're a fan of Dexter and you haven't checked it out already, check it out. It's a really interesting ride. It's an imperfect one. Okay, well, here's my question, because I saw the entirety of Dexter years ago. Mm-hmm. Dustin hadn't seen any of Dexter, and so when we acquired Crave, I realized that it has the whole Everything. series. So we're starting over from the beginning. Nice. We're about two episodes in, and like you, I'm kind of feeling this nostalgia. The music is oh, so yes. fucking good. The score is amazing, and I can't believe how much is going on in the first two episodes. Like, much of what I remember, it really really hits the ground running. So my question to you is for those listeners out there who haven't seen it from the start, can they jump into the new season or do you really you need to go can. back? You can. You can. And like, I haven't gone back and rewatched mm-hmm. any of the new uh, series. I think they do a good job. If you know the premise of Dexter, mm-hmm. they do a good job of kind of reminding you of some of the plot points, which are important. I think if you're more knowledgeable of it, if you're more familiar with it, it's probably a bit more of a payoff. Uh-huh. Um, like I saw some people commenting on, you know, uh, some goofs and plot holes that happen in the new series. And I was like, oh, I didn't pick up on those because I I haven't watched the original series in several years. Um, But it didn't destroy anything for me. I I think, you know, you still get a lot out of it. But I would say make sure you're kind of familiar with the original content Uh uh, so you can see the payoff. Okay. But I would definitely recommend checking it out. Uh, It's a much better ending than what the original series did. Don't get me started. Exactly. And I think it's also a good lesson that, you know, in our era of like reboots and remakes and stuff like that, you can kind of go back and say like, actually, I do want another kick at the can if something didn't quite go right. Uh I like this idea that you can go back and you can reimagine a story while not saying the original stuff didn't happen, but you can continue the story. Um, And, you know, I believe it was the executive producer, Clyde Phillips, who came back on to like show run the new series and just kind of steer the ship Uh and just reorient it. And it just felt so Again, while imperfect, it felt very satisfying Mm. and much more of the morality tale. I kind of felt like they were getting at. So I I was really satisfied watching this. Cool. Yeah. Great. Glad to hear it. Uh, So at the bottom of my best of list is uh, St. Maud, written and directed by Rose Glass. Again, imperfect, but I found it creepy and tense and unique. And I'm eager to see what she comes out with next. Yeah. I um I also saw it. Um I especially remember liking the first third of it mm-hmm. where it's the tension between um you know the young girl and the older woman and and you know her in declining health and I thought that was such an interesting dynamic. Mm-hmm. And then it just the whole kind of is it in her mind is it not? Mm-hmm. I just find that a little worn out. I feel like that's what people do when they have a strong concept that they don't know how to wrap up. Yeah, and I feel like they could have just made a more interesting choice perhaps. Mm-hmm. But that is just for me. That's fair. Next up on my list, another, I think, incredible feat of filmmaking, um, but a bit imperfect for me, is Titan. 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 Uh-huh. Uh, from writer-director Julia Ducarno. Uh, for any of our Patreon subscribers out there, you probably heard our fact flash on Titan. Uh-huh. I, I think we were both a little cool on it uh-huh. in that. And I put it on this list because, while it kind of lost me in some moments, there are moments in that film that I am still thinking about Mm -hmm. that still feels so provocative and fulfilling Mm -hmm. and challenging and I just really enjoyed it in this kind of 
this feels like a step forward. Mm-hmm. This feels like um, mixing media and like challenging what we um, think of as horror and what we think of as storytelling and narrative. And it feels very Dickensian in some ways mm-hmm. of this kind of long ass journey for this one person to go through and the people that they need along the way and how they are impacted by this person. And I think it's just a really fascinating film and I'm so glad it exists. Mm-hmm. And I think it's going to be one of those markers that when we look back at genre films in this period, you know, if there's going to be before Tite and after Tite. Yes. You know, and I feel like this impact with Tite is much more than with her first film, Raw. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, I think Raw was subversive, interesting, challenging film, but I kind of knew what was happening in it. Yeah. And Tite was like, let's blow the fucking doors off uh-huh. and try some stuff. And I really like the film and I respect it. Yeah. I do respect it. It didn't make my list. Although I really enjoyed watching it, I left being like, I need to chew this over. I yeah. need to, I need to think on it. And my opinion on it has actually cooled the more I think on mm-hmm. it because I haven't landed anywhere that reaches me. And it, it happens that the person that I saw it with was like, oh, I got it. And I got uh, this and this and this. And that was queer. And I was just kind of like, okay, well, maybe things missed me because of who I am and what my experience is. But the more I roll it over, I'm just kind of like, or maybe it just missed me. I don't feel any a special pull to see it again, mm-hmm. but I, I do respect it and I am glad it exists and it made a splash and rightfully so. And I think that's, you know, a great point that not every film is meant for every person. Mm-hmm. What reaches you may not reach someone else. Mm-hmm. And that's more than valid. And I think that needs to be um, remembered by many yes. people. And I think that's going to come up in a second when I get my next film out here. Might surprise you, might surprise our listeners. It's Psycho Gorman. Oh, okay. Psycho Gorman was written and directed by Steve Kostansky, who is a local boy. He was part of a filmmaking collective called Astron 6, and they put out The Editor. They put out Father's Day. They've had an interesting trajectory, but Steve, as a filmmaker on his own, he did The Void, yes. which I didn't super care for, and I watched it, and I was like, you know, this doesn't feel like Steve. You know, it, it it rings to me. I know the guy pretty well. It rings to me of studio interference and, and what Steve might have thought people wanted from him. Whereas Psycho Gorman to me was a really true reflection of his love of 80s monster kid horror. Yeah. But it did it right. Like it had all of the nostalgia with none of the misogyny. Mm. It's silly. It's funny. It's irreverent, but it feels like really pure homage and it was so fun and silly that it felt like a nice salve to all of the heavy shit going on last year. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah, I did not see it. <laughs> Next up on my list is Censor. Oh, yeah. From writer-director uh, Prano, Bailey Bond, and co-writer Anthony Fletcher. I think I really love an 80-minute runtime. Oh, fuck yeah. I fucking love an 80-minute runtime. And uh, Censor, uh, for those who don't know, is about a young woman in England in the 80s, and she is, in fact, herself a censor. And, you know, we've talked a bit about the video nasty, um, moral panic in the UK around that time. And uh, her character is part of that institution. 
solution. Mm -hmm. And then certain things begin to bleed over and like this, you know, sister that has died is maybe coming back through this film. And it's just layers of uh, metaphor and magical realism and like a kind of love letter to gory, nasty films while still being a really, you know, incredibly beautifully shot film. Uh, Very much I, I felt about, you know, a woman's relationship with herself, with her mental health and with the other people around her. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think if it had been like a minute longer, I would have started to question the whole thing and it would have collapsed like a house of cards. Mm-hmm. The runtime, the way it was paced, it just kind of like keeps going. It has this like engine to it where you're like, oh my God, oh my God. And then when it ends, you're like, holy shit. Mm-hmm. And it just, I was felt very satisfied by it because it didn't outstay its welcome. Yeah. It knew exactly what it wanted to do, how it wanted to do it. And it's such a confident film. Uh-huh. Um, and it was a real, like, strange, eerie pleasure to watch. Mm-hmm. I like watching high concept films when I feel like the filmmaker is in control. The film can be as wild as it wants to be and Censor is absolutely a wild film but I could kind of sit back and not knowing this director before this I was like, she knows what's going on. Mm-hmm. I can just sit back and enjoy this and um, yeah, I, I don't often feel that with um, younger filmmakers so Censor's big recommend for me. Mm-hmm. I recommend it as well. It didn't make my list. I, I have the same feeling about it that you were kind of describing with St. Maud where I feel like it's almost two films and the aspect of her being a censor and a critic and dealing with this space around horror Mm. and how non-horror people talk about horror and moral panic about horror was so fascinating to me as as a horror fan and as somebody who like my full-time gig is in horror movies people don't get it and people want to throw rocks at it and I really loved that uh, that meta real life aspect of it I felt like it went off the rails in the end and it kind of lost me but I was never bored yeah and I was never confused and I was never frustrated and that's saying a lot Mm -hmm. next on my list is Candyman oh go on I don't think it was a perfect film, but I thought it was a really worthy reboot to the film. I thought it was a really strong debut and, uh, yeah, a highlight of the year for sure. That's a film that is like 90 minutes and I feel like it should have been two hours. I know. And I can't say that about any other film that I can think of. It felt like a series of interesting vignettes. Yes. Yes. And it tackled the subject and it tackled the discourse and the way the discourses has changed. I thought the shadow puppets and the art scene critique were really well done. But it wrapped up and I was just kind of like, well, what just happened? Yeah, I I remember distinctly feeling well. Well, we saw it together mm-hmm. um, in, in the theaters. My God. Um, just that. It didn't have a lot of budget. Well, yeah. And that there were probably huge parts of the script that were either removed before shooting or shot and edited out because, I don't know, it just felt like studio interference. Yeah, it felt that way to me too, which is astonishing given the hype and the excitement and the timing of this film. Yeah, so that it didn't make my list. Um, Yeah. Okay, what's next? I think this one might be on your list, so Mm. maybe we'll pause if we're not there yet on your list, but caveat. It's on my list, for sure. Way higher up. What a treat. So shall we Shall we stick a pin in that? Okay, yeah, yeah. We'll we, talk we can come back to it. Time. Sure. Okay. Because my next film is definitely not on your list. Oh, boy. Last Night in Soho. <sighs> Alex is choking on her drink. <laughs> I feel like we're making this disclaimer of so many films on the not perfect but, not perfect but. I didn't love the ending. 
And it may be the cinema effect talking, but when the 60s flashbacks were coming, I was not only transported, I was enraptured. The depiction of 1960s London show business world, when it goes from glossy to gritty, I was there for it. Anya Taylor-Joy was amazing. And yeah, I didn't care about anything else. I was just in 1960s London for the runtime, and that's where I wanted to be. Yeah, I, I also saw it in a theater, and I was really like, oh, things were bad in the 60s? What? <laughs> um, and also probably doesn't help that, like, uh, my father, you know, his heyday was in London in the 1960s, mm-hmm. so I have heard stories about how grimy and violent and horrifying it could be. So when it got, like, glossy, and I was like... This bitch isn't going to last one second there. Ah. So I kind of, I was just kind of watching it, and I was just like, Egh. and then again, the high conceptness of it, I was a bit like, what, what? Oh, I loved it. Yeah, didn't it, it? That's it's just one. It went right over my head, and I think that's the case. Is it's a real kind of you know love, or you didn't get it. Except mm-hmm. that next one on my list. Oh, oh. It is a mammoth one. Oh. Woodlands Dark and Days Bewitched, uh, like three plus hour documentary about folk horror from director and writer Kayla Janice. Yes, I believe it is out on Shutter now. It might just be in the U.S. Uh, yes, I think it's coming out on Shutter this month in some places. I rented it in Canada uh, through Apple, mm-hmm. so it's available for rent in Canada. I was pretty astonished by it. Like, there is so much content I didn't know. I'd only seen like two or three of the films that they reference. Yeah. Uh, well, probably a bit more actually, because um, they reference a lot of films. A lot. And it is so in depth. And I love a documentary. I mm-hmm. love to nerd out about this shit. And I did it all in one go. Wow. And my brain started to melt towards the end, not because it wasn't well explained, not because it wasn't excellent, uh, simply because my brain had hit capacity for the night. Information overload is a thing. So I had to go back and like with my rental period, rewatch the last half hour. And I'm mm-hmm. glad I did that. But I highly recommend it. I highly recommend it, even if you're not a fan of folk horror, for a way of thinking about film, of disseminating history, like all of the stuff that we do here on one level, it's also explored in a really filmic level in this film. One of the things I tend to do with my copies of Remorque that I get is I have to stash them away until I see like the content and then I go back and read it. And, you know, your whole feature, Andrea, about uh, the film and, and the supplementary materials was like really interesting because there is so much to folk horror that I think, you know, is, is coming back to light. You know, it's such a weird time in our history, and it's a great time to look back at this particular movement and the way it has had movements across the world. Mm-hmm. Across the world. I'm glad you mentioned that because that was that was a big revelation for me. I think folk horror, even for those of us who think we love it, has always been kind of a nebulous term, like difficult to define yep. without reference to the big three. And of course, like the documentary goes there, but there's so, so, so much else. And it distills, ex- I have a great understanding of what it is now. So even if you think that you don't really care for folk horror because whatever, like Midsummer missed you or whatever, um, you know, check it out and uh, and reevaluate. And that came out in a box set from Severin with like, I think, 20 other films God. that were previously unreleased. The Severin box set is like super expensive, pre-order already shipped. I think yeah. it's done. But a lot of those films, I know Shudder was also yes. releasing in tandem with Woodlands Dark. So you can take a crash course. Yeah. And it's 
really interesting and it's just a great resource. Mm-hmm. And I think it's something that clearly a lot of time, attention, and love was put into. Um, and it really captured so much information. Um, so I highly, highly recommend checking that out and uh, enjoy it. Yeah. Uh, so my next one is The Feast, which is a Welsh eco-horror film about uh, an affluent family who host a dinner party and they have ulterior motives that come to light and then things go very, very, very bad. And I won't say much more than that. We did a feature in Rue Morgue on it and it was one of those really difficult features to write because you want to talk about the film, but you also don't want to spoil anything. And this film takes some fucking turns. And this film also boasts the worst trailer I've ever seen in my life. When I got the link for this film for feature consideration and I watched the trailer, I was like, this looks like shit. Mm -hmm. But now I know. Now I know that they didn't have much to work with for the trailer. So (gasps) if you're interested in the description, watch the movie, skip the trailer, unless you just want to see an example of a really shit waste of time trailer. Next up on my list is a series, which is blowing up the internet right now, called Yellow Jackets. Uh, Created by Ashley Lynch and Bart Nickerson, one of the executive producers is Karen Kusama. Yeah, the only reason it's not on my list is because I'm only an episode in, but I was delighted, if not surprised, to see Karen's name. She directed the first episode, and I am hooked. I I started watching it with Dustin, so now I have to watch both available so we can see the rest of it. I know. Well, let me tell you, at the time of recording, the finale is airing tonight. So that means it'll be available for me to stream tomorrow morning. So guess what I will be doing as soon as I wake up? Because I will be doing is muting Twitter. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. Mute those terms. Avoid spoilers. It's an excellent show. It's about this, uh, you know, championship high school soccer team from a small town and they are champions and they are flying to nationals and their plane goes down. Uh So it becomes a very eerie Lord of the Flies, uh, predominantly populated by young women with a couple men scattered in there. And it vastly between them being trapped out in the wilderness in the Canadian Rockies and them, some of the survivors, and you don't really quite know the status of everyone, mm-hmm. um, you know, in present day. And part of it is, you know, watching some really incredible actors like Juliette Lewis and Christina Ricci um, just kind of play older versions of younger selves and just those tensions. And I love, love stories that will show us like a beginning point and an end point. Mm. And the narrative tension is what has happened in between. Yeah, I love that too. Love it. So um, I've been a big fan. I think this is just their first season. I think they're trying for the second season. So I'm very curious to see how this wraps up. And I will be losing my mind until uh, we hopefully get season two. Yeah. I'm hooked. I'm very interested. I've always been really interested in the psychology of women's team sports mm. just because roller derby was such a, a transformative part of my life because of that team sport element. And I feel like Yellow Jackets is really hitting that nail on its head. And that's the thing is like so much happens in each episode. Uh, like I've been kind of co-watching it from a very far distance um, with our friend Allison Lang. Mm-hmm. And so we'll kind of like text each other as soon as we finish like the latest episode as like, oh, what about this? What about this? And there's so much stuff in every episode that like these texts are just like on and on and on. Um, But it's wonderful. And the soundtrack is incredible. Yes. 
because the the youth part is in the is ninety six. Yeah, and yeah, I was like, this is exactly what Fear Street nineteen whatever it was thought it was doing. Yeah, love it. Great. Next on my list is the Vigil. Um, it was the cover story of the January February issue, written and directed by Keith Thomas, and it's about an old Jewish tradition of keeping vigil, which is to say watching over a dead body for the first night, uh, protecting it from evil spirits. I loved it. I loved interviewing Keith Thomas. He is so smart. He gave me such an incredible interview, and I'm really stoked to see that he got the Firestarter reboot. Uh, I'm really interested to hear what he does with that. Mm -hmm. that Yeah, the vigil didn't make my list but I really enjoyed it, and it was one of those ones I watched at home and I liked. Mm-hmm. I feel like I would have gotten so much more out of it if I saw it on a big screen. Yeah. Uh, just because, like, my TV setup is decent, but I feel like with everything kind of going on in the frame, and it's a very, you know, intentionally small film, and, and I just felt like I was losing stuff that mm. I maybe would have gotten in a really immersive experience. Yeah. But it, it's a great film. If you haven't seen it, absolutely check it out. Yeah. Next up on my list, it is another series, Midnight Mass. Ooh, it's on my list higher up. Ooh, okay, well, let's, it. yeah, it's a companion. Uh, well, we've arrived at caveat for me. Nice. I loved it. That yes. was one that I did get to. I remember I was trying to wrap Christmas gifts, and I was mm. like, I'll put this on while I'm wrapping Christmas gifts, and I did not wrap any fucking Christmas gifts. I was glued to the screen, and it feels low budget, and it feels indie, which it is, and, you know, it, it got going, and the aesthetics were great, and, you know, I was kind of like, this is a little preposterous, but okay, I'm with it, and then, holy shit, I was glued. Yeah, just another one of those, like, quietly, like, brilliant small films that just kind of, like, goes on shutter. Mm-hmm. Sam Zimmerman tweets about it, and you're like, okay. Oh, yeah, this one, like, it's it's a feather in shutter's cap, I'd say, because, again, word of mouth, like, elevated it. Yeah. In some ways, it's a very simple film, but as Andrea alluded to, it just gets more and more complex Mm -hmm. and and then just like fucking scary Mm -hmm. and ugh, ugh, eerie and wonderful and messy and great. Yeah. Highly, highly recommend. Yeah, and that's think... from uh, writer director Damien McCarthy. Damien so, McCarthy. Uh, very excited to see what he does next. Me too. Uh, so, next film on my list is The Sadness, and I'm so sorry, guys. I know this hasn't come out, and it was supposed to come out. It was supposed to come out last summer because I put it on the summer issue of mm. Rue Morgue because I was expecting it to come out. I- I'm starting to suspect that Raven Banner might Ooh. be having trouble getting it out because it is really balls to the wall. And uh, so, it was written and directed by Rob Jabaz, who is a Canadian guy working in Thailand, and he wasn't even really a filmmaker. He was a horror film fan who came across somebody who loved horror films and had a lot of money. Hmm. And they got to talking about horror films and, well, we should make a horror film. And Rob was like, okay. So, you know, that amateurness shows in the film. It's not a sophisticated film, but it is so bold and it is so fresh and it is so fucked up. And um, it's problematic in a way that is... I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to say forgivable, but, Mm -hmm. you know, it's almost like when a child says something problematic, you're like, oh, you don't know any better. You know what I mean? And I don't mean to infantilize the film or Rob Jabez, but like... It feels like a very pure concept of violence and all the problematicness that comes with that. Um, so it essentially deals with kind of like a zombie outbreak, although the zombieism has a uh, sexual 
um, voracious appetite in, in addition to the cannibalism. So that's where kind of the problematic bits come in. But um, watching it is an experience in sadism and I was, I, you feel unsafe. Anything could happen and I haven't seen a film like that in years. Wow. No. Yeah. yeah. It's not going to be for everybody but um, it's 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 going to make a splash if and when it finally does I think that's the eyes. thing is I kind of hope these films all find a way to get out mm-hmm. to the masses because, you know, it won't be for everyone but we should all have the opportunity to experience it that's and right. make that call for ourselves. Yeah. You know, because the sense and, and, you know, you and I have talked a bit about this film before is um, I feel like you'll kind of know early on if it's not for you. Yeah. Like you can start it and just be like, oh, no, thank you. That's right. And if you were to turn it off at that point, like you gave it a shot. Yeah. yeah I haven't right. seen it. And it is one that I am very curious about and would definitely love to give a shot to. Yeah. Uh, so number two on my list. You could never, ever have made me guess that a film, a film like this would have been on my best of list, let alone this high. Uh, Malignant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I had a feeling that would be one or two on your list. Yeah. Yep. Um, I, I'm not the biggest James Wan fan. Um, Andrea and I, I think it was on another Patreon Fact Flash. I was lamenting how shitty the trailer looked. Uh-huh. And uh and then you saw it. And I was cranky about it, right? Yeah. Like it was it was inconvenient, the screening, and then I showed up and the power was out at the theater, and so I had to come back another day. And so like, yeah, I had I had pissy pants about this film before I had even seen it for a number of years. Yeah. But then you said, no, but it's interesting. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like you weren't raving about it, but you were like, there's something to this movie. And, you know, when the power was on, you got to see it just before it got its wide release. And uh, so I eventually got my hands on a copy of it and watched it. And I was like, am I having fun? <laughs> am I? Am I on a little ride? Uh-huh. What is happening? Um and yeah, it is, it's a film that deals with some very dark subject matters, um, uh, like mental health, uh, domestic abuse, things like that. Um, and it's really dark in those ways, but as the narrative progresses, it just becomes like a silly, strange, over the top delight. Mm-hmm. Um, and to me, the real MVP of this film is, um, the screenwriter, Akela Cooper. Mm-hmm. I think she's kind of the ingredient that really added something and elevated James Wan's, um, directorial talents. Mm -hmm. I think he harnessed a lot of things um, when he made Aquaman and I think one of the Fast and Furious movies. So he brought in all these ways to shoot action that are really incredible that I did not expect. Yeah. But there is this story as absurd as it is, feels like it knows what it's doing and has intention. Uh, and I actually went, I enjoyed it so much. And, and I went with a few friends who also saw it. And we all went to see it in the theater again. Mm-hmm. And it was just such a blast. I, I will say if I could wish anything for Malignant, it was that it could cut 15 to 20 minutes out of it. Mm-hmm. But it's such a fucking blast. And I don't know about you, but I feel like ever since the Babadook, horror has been like, you know what's sad? Everything. <laughs> and this is a film that is very dark that deals with a lot of dark subject matter like all horror does. But it's like, hey, hey. Wanna go on this really fucked up ride that doesn't have seatbelts? Get on, kid! So I, I, I really enjoyed it and I was just like, this is fun in, in ways I couldn't have predicted it would be fun. Mm-hmm. I was 
shocked that you loved it as much mm-hmm. as you did. I did not have fun with it until the end. Yes. Until the action sequence totally came. And then I was like, oh, this is what you're, you've thrown so much at me. Something is finally sticking. Um, but I have to say that if I didn't see it at a press screening, I might not have gone all the way with it. I was feeling like I respect the fact that, like you say, James Wan has, you know, kind of gone other ways in his career. Yeah. He's a big fucking deal now. And if he's going to come back to horror, he's going to make this bonkers script. He's going to make a really fun movie that people are loving. They're fucking loving. And it, it did feel like a breath of fresh air. So I do respect that. Yeah. And the other thing I want to mention about Malignant and, you know, maybe it's just me and where I am in my life, but I just really appreciated how it was very much about, um, certainly in the end, these two women, you know, the main character and her pseudo not sister being so connected and like fighting for each other. I felt nothing for the characters throughout. I was on board with them. Yeah. Yeah. Again, maybe it's just where I'm at in my life. Whatever. And the trailers for this. Yeah, trailer yeah. for Malignant looks so fucking stupid. Wow, they looked really James Wan-y. Well, they just didn't look like interesting, and I, which is so smart because you can't give away that twist. That's true. And it's not even the narrative twist because I kind of guess what the twist was, but the tonal twist yes. that it takes mm-hmm. is very exciting and very campy and very schlocky, but mm-hmm. intentionally so. And I felt like it balanced it really well. Well, we have arrived at my number one. Midnight Mass was my favorite of the year. Looking back on the year, I don't think anything had me, I wanted to watch. And I think part of it is the fact that it not only was so strong, but it's format. The serialized format where every episode kind of ends on a cliffhanger and then you're ravenous for the next one. You don't really have that with a movie, so it's not entirely fair. But uh, Midnight Mass, it was so meaty to me. There was so much to dig my teeth into. And once again, not perfect, but I felt very satisfied by it and, um, and challenged by it. And yeah, I just love religious horror, especially one that doesn't talk down to religion. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like insofar as religion was what allowed this scourge to take place. Um, I I don't think we've summarized midnight mass concerns, uh, a very devout Christian Island, um, be set upon by mom. Monsters? Maybe that's all I'll say. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a Netflix series. I think it's, I want to say, six or seven episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's from, you know, creator, writer, director Mike Flanagan. And um, yeah, it's about what happens when a prodigal son returns, uh, a new priest comes to town, and how it upends everything. And, you know, I, I was not interested in watching it. I'm not always the biggest Mike Flanagan fan. Mm-hmm. I like Oculus. I like Dr. Sleep. I did not care for his haunting Netflix series. Mm-hmm. I didn't even finish the first one. I didn't even try with Bly Manor, mm-hmm. I think. So I was not going to watch this one. And then, Andrea, you were like, no, it's interesting. Give it a shot. And I think after the first episode, I was totally hooked. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think, you know, religious horror gets to be like, religion can be used for something that is meant to cast evil out. Mm-hmm. But as we have discussed many times on this podcast, religion is often, especially when we look back in our history, a tool for evil. Mm-hmm. And I felt like Midnight Mass actually dug in yeah. and tried to like fucking figure this out. Again, messy, imperfect. Um, Mike Flanagan needs to stop casting his wife and things. Wasn't her best. <sighs> But he did a good job casting that priest. <gasps> I was fucking hot for preacher. <laughs> Holy <laughs> shit. Yeah. Hamish Linklater. I will link with him later. 
<laughs> Seriously. Mm-hmm. And I know people complain about the monologues in this, and I get it. There are monologues. There are going to be characters you don't like and characters you don't care about, and you're going to have to listen to the monologue about a backstory that wasn't well-developed. Yeah, but it, it moved me, it creeped me out, and it made me, like, weep. Really? Yeah. Amazing. It didn't make you? I don't recall oh, weeping. I wept. No, it, it, this was another one. I thought I knew it all, um, like, malignant, and I watched it and engaged with it and was totally blown away and yeah. really enjoyed it. I will say I wish it was one episode shorter. I agree I think, that. again, mm-hmm. imperfect, but for what it achieves, I relax on the imperfectness, and I and I think, you know, I, I think religion is such a fucking complicated thing. It can do amazing things for people. It can do bad things for people. And I appreciated that. Um, there were things that spoke to both of those mm-hmm. in it and they were at odds with each other and there wasn't like this huge resolution at the end. That's right. It's messy. It's sad. It's strange. And you don't know. Yeah. Like life. Aw. Is that an all? <laughs> Um, my number one film, um, my number one horror of 2021. This is kind of a bitch because I haven't seen this on a lot of best of lists of the year. Um, it wasn't really marketed as a horror film, which I personally think is a mistake. So I'm not going to say that much about it. I'm going to be a bit vague about it, but it's a film called The Humans. It's from writer-director Stephen Karam. It premiered at TIFF this year, and um, I I watched it last month. I I rented it from Apple, and um, it's based on Stephen Karam's play. He's a playwright. Mm -hmm. He won a bunch of Tonys, I guess, a couple years ago. And all I will say is that it's about a family getting together um, in one of their adult daughter's new New York apartment for Thanksgiving. And they get together and they're just hanging out for Thanksgiving and things happen. I, I saw that it's on um, TIFF's digital platform right now for rental and it's marketed as a family drama. Okay. And I was like, TIFF. I do not remember the last time a family drama almost made me shit my pants, but here we are. But Oscars, Alex. Um, I, I, it was kind of, I read some stuff and I thought, oh, it could be horror adjacent. And I think, you know, yeah, maybe it is horror adjacent, yeah. but it truly scared me. Dang. It like fucked me up and it fucked me up and it continues to fuck me up because I think it poses a really important question for us right now. What does it mean to make a horror film in 2021 or now 2022 with where the world is, Uh with what we're all going through with this collective trauma? What does that mean? What does that yield? And what is horror now? Um, And it is strange. It is inventive. It is small. It is exceptional to me. Like I've been saying, shit's imperfect and there's nothing wrong with making something exceptional that is imperfect. To me, I think this is perfect. Damn. Um, How exciting to me that your number one is not only, I didn't expect it, but I've never even heard of it. It's yeah. completely off my radar. And it stars uh, Richard Jenkins. Um, you uh, can remember from uh, Cabin in the Woods, Shape of Water. He's the older dude. Oh, that guy. Yeah, that guy. Uh, Stephen Ewan from The Walking Dead. Yeah. Uh, Amy Schumer's in it. Wow. Um, yeah, there's a couple other people, but again, it's just about this small family unit and they just get together and it's just like, it's a lot, but in the best way. Oh shit. Yeah. So the humans watch it, check it out. Don't send me your therapy bill. Holy shit, guys. Amazing. I will say I watched it and then I went to bed and I like stayed up and just like thought about it for a few hours. And then I woke up the next three nights at 4.15. Fuck off. Swear to God. Well... 
I know what I'm doing this weekend. Yeah, it's a good one. It's oh, oh, I want people. I want more people to see it, and I would love to talk more about it. Number one, God, like if the creators are like number one on the faculty of horror best of list. Nobody brags about that, but maybe they should. No, no, you will poop yourself. That's my pull quote. I'm in. All right. Well, let's take a quick break, and then we'll be back at it with some honorable mentions, some non-horror faves, some stuff we're looking forward to. But first, some bloopers. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the faculty of... <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. Serious. Let's do this. Cut that bit about balls Okay, out. okay. Um, can we pause so I can yeah. pee? And the story of Achilles and Patronicus. Patronicus? Fuck. I wish I wrote it down. Just I didn't. Whatever. Patronicus? Patron. And perhaps... Perhaps... What? What the fuck is so funny? <laughs> It's just incredible. Achilles and his cohort, let's say. Yeah, I need more wine. That's what I need. I just need an IV. The problem is my esophagus. No dicks were sucked. (laughs) Wasn't like that. Andrea. And then blah, blah, said blah, blah about feminist theory. Feminist. 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 And to start with, who knows? Alex knows. (laughs) I was so waiting for you to pick it up. I was like, Andrea's going to turn it around this year. She's going to know what we're going to talk about. It's a trope now. It's a fun faculty of horror thing. Just pour me more wine. Okay. Yeah. Oh, girl. It's not a race, but if it were... I would win. Oh, I think I see some of my hair in there. Oh, amazing. I win. (laughs) Species have commingled. How come you don't eat the chips? I ate the chips when you were wrestling with the recording thing. Mm -hmm. I just plowed them in my mouth while you were going, no, no, no. I was doing that. (laughs) You care about something. (laughs) Dick. Slurp. I fucking love that I'm putting this down on a coaster of a Pomeranian. It's a snacky boy. Snacky boy. The Pomeranian's name is Snacks, who is the original Pom that made me fall in love with the breed. And Snacks is internet famous, and so there are coasters. And my coaster has Snacks with his brother Tyler. Oh, I love Tyler. Who's a beautiful blue Merle. They are coasters. A blue Merle. He's a black Pom with spots. Blue Merle is the name of the coloring. Purebred AKC certified biatch. Oh God. <laughs> As is Dante. I think they found my cats behind a garbage can. Entertainer that is entirely. So why don't you so, take that again take and that again. save me from that? You just get a corner. I just got that Nobody corner. puts Alex in the corner. Except for Andrea. Except me. <laughs> Pulling again from my stack of books. You didn't deface that book. Did you? Oh. <gasps> God, there's the highlighting and the folded over corner. Okay. Okay. I'm sure you highlighted it and underlined it and otherwise defaced. Look at that. God. And Andrea is going to borrow this book from me. At least it's blue that matches the cover. No, it's all (gasps) different. You use different highlighters within? Yeah. Sometimes I think you're the more neurotic one, but right now I'm like, no, no, I'm... No, I'm an agent of chaos. Taking the cake. She reflected back those expect... She... Do that again. <laughs> it's a complicated subject. Even what thirty years later, nineteen ninety-seven. Someone else do the math. Unique New York. Unique New York. Conversation and that is and that is because I felt like I didn't. I didn't. Maybe middle. Dad, who is the town's police chief? Police chief. 
I've apologized. Mm. I'm sorry. You have a fudgy bum. You can't have chips. <laughs> Fudge butt. You're so floppy. I swear to God. She's talking about Dante, not me. You're not. You're firm and supple. Oh, it sounds creepy. Creepy? Me? Meepy? Mmm. What? What did the wow? Really? <laughs> now we're in this dark, haunted vault together. As you were, my dear. Okay. Podcast rage. Andrew, in his infinite wisnet. 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 la. Well, all right. White male director tried to control me. Maybe I should go there now, and then you Let's can go, go there in now, with the drama. Let's go there now, because I got some shit to say about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, okay. Andrea's gone to go get booze. I'm rooting around in my bag for things. <laughs> I think Andrea just went out to comfort Dustin, and I just hear her go, I'm sorry, I hit you with the face. So uh, that's how this episode of Possession is going. Yikes. Ooh, no, no, no! Ooh, Got a little fizzy, but we handled it. Okay, talk about misogyny. The first time he meets Heinrich, I said that weird. You did. Henrik? Heinrich. Heinrich. Yeah. I feel like I'm gonna burp again. Do it. <clears throat> These are Prosecco belches. I know, usually we don't get this burpee until summer with beer. <laughs> <laughs> and Andrew is just laughing at me now. I was thinking Pinterest. It made me think of Pinterest, the app. <laughs> you know, I, I think noted influential British playwright of the 20th century, Harold Pinter, was probably the impetus for Pinterest. Is that right? No, he was not at all. Um, Jean Genet. Jean Genet? No, I didn't say that right. No, fuck it. Not I the mean. guy who did Alien 3. No. Um, let me say that again was that word I wrote? Okay, let me take it in. Other playwrights who are considered to be part of this movement are Samuel Beckett, Edward Albee, Eugene Onet. Fuck me! Onesco. You got it. Other playwrights who are perceived to be part of this movement are Samuel Beckett. Other playwrights... Let's say that without laughing. <laughs> oh, I think our pizza's here. Oh. I found that Hans, who plays the troll hunter, actually holds a record for the longest stand-up Sorry, performance. Sorry, the character name is Hans. Yes. But his name is Otto. Oh. Well, Otto is um, uh, this, one of the students, right? I just know an actor named Otto plays Hans. Oh, Otto plays Hans? I thought Otto was one of the students and Hans Morton Hansen played Thomas Hans. is the one who... Tom, I thought Otto played Thomas. No, I'm confused. Hans is Otto and Thomas... No, Hans is Finn and Thomas is Otto. Okay. <sighs> I have to pee a little bit. And with an overdoor... With an overdoor... Hmm? From his slutty father. Mm-hmm. Let me take that again. Trailer, trailer, trailer. We're going to pause because I got to pee. Pee. John Byrne of the Chalice... Tr- Sorry. John Byrne of the Chellis Indian... No, fuck. So before the Willow Creek incident, John Byrne of the Chellis... Chellis? 
of the new Hawk. No, sorry. Between Jim and Kelly in this relationship. Uh, <laughs> Are we going back to old foggy We're London town? Foggy London town? Yeah, you're just repeating what I said. No. It doesn't matter who directed the films. No, We're going to talk about the film. How does it matter? Mitochondrial. Uh, no, I'm not going to say it. I thought uh, you were going to say middle crust. I know. I've, I've never heard of middle crust. I'm just going to say DNA evidence. Fuck Do it. it. Yeah, we'll finish this beer and we'll see how that goes. Uh-huh. I'm intimidating. I know. Yeah. I mean, we had that conversation with one of our Patreons, like who would win in a fight. <laughs> just wait for that one day. <laughs> That one day when I make that gesture and you one say One day, Hi. Alex, to the moon! <laughs> Pow! Right in the kisser. You hadn't figured this out. We are drinking beer, so it will be a burp-tacular episode. Woohoo! So fucked. Ugh. Fuck. Not to mention, the, like, the, cin- uh, the cinematographic? No. We're eating crisps! We're enjoying them! Ugh. Noise. Going to talk about gay stuff now. Gay stuff? Gays. Gays. I'm sure there is some gay stuff in here. And. Rule juror. The rule juror. Can I go into? Please. Okay. It's starting to. I'm going to start wrapping up. Yeah, yeah. Okay. You believe your load? I have. It's great load. Thank you. It's your biggest load yet. I agree. And we're back. Wow, Andrea. Can you believe we made so many flubs? I. It's been a couple of years since I've edited, and I feel like we don't make as many anymore. Do you think? I have no idea. <laughs> I like how this episode has become a nice surprise of remember that. Yeah, it's it's definitely one thing to just record and be like, I don't know what that was, and then to get a wonderfully edited episode back from our friend Alan um, and just be like, oh, God, we're smart. Yeah. Uh, so I feel like some of that, you know, you texting me of like, Alex, do you remember when you said this thing has, has really stopped? Remember that? Yep. I would love to one day take all of our burps and set it to auto-tune and do kind of like a Jingle Cats thing where like one day instead of our theme song, it'll just be us belching oh down blur, 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 blurp. Ah, watch our iTunes reviews go way down for that. <laughs> Um, yeah, so we thought we'd take this portion of the episode to uh, talk about honorable mentions, some uh, non-horror faves, some other stuff that we've been enjoying this year. Because, again, uh, it's a weird time, and uh, there's still fun stuff out there to enjoy. Yes, and I have been leaning hard on distraction. Mm-hmm. The distractions that normally did it for me, like social media. Mm-mm, oh, no. I need to look the other way. And I also find that I... I am like mixing distractions. Like it's not enough to have the TV on. I've got to be doing something with my hands and doing something else as well. And maybe playing a game on my phone. It's fucked. Yeah, I think, you know, we, we got to get through this period and in whatever means is as healthy as can be. And so I'm, I'm certainly my stuff is, is a bit all over the place, but all right. What, what's, uh, what's some stuff you like? So one thing I want to bring up that I have been doing this weekly movie viewing with some Room Org writers and we used to call it family night when we would get together at the Room Org Manor and watch a horror movie and just kind of roast it. You mm-hmm. know, it would often not be 
a new release. It would be an old stinker that's fun to watch together. And so a couple of gems have come up in that that I think we've talked about on the podcast. Revisiting Wishmaster and Wishmaster 2 last year was delightful uh, with the group. But we watched one recently that's called Voyage of the Rock Aliens. And this film, it's from 1984, and it stars Pia Zadora, mm. who, you know who that is? Yes. I didn't know who that is, but I was obsessed with her and, like, wikipedia the shit out of her after that. But it is a really weird rock opera type thing that is so bonkers and so hilarious. There are choices in that film that make me scratch my head, but I could not stop laughing. And the whole thing in its entirety is on YouTube. So if you want a silly musical what-the-fuck experience, check that out. Please. You would hate obviously. I, yeah. Like, yeah it's, I was about to be like, absolutely, that sounds like fun. And then I just got hung up on the musical thing. Oh, God, the songs are so fucking funny. <sighs> I really, for, for long-time listeners, you probably all know that I, I struggle with musicals. It's okay. Um, one thing that surprised and, and then delighted me this year was a limited series, WandaVision, um, from creator Jack Schaefer, and he was the creator for TV, and it's part of the uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, people talking about that a lot. Yeah. Was it in the spring? It, it was the spring, and it was it's on Disney+, Plus, and it was Disney+, Plus and the MC use first like TV movement as part of Disney Plus. They'd had their Netflix stuff before, which is now kind of part of the MCU and now kind of not. Okay. Who knows? But WandaVision was um, about the character Wanda Maximoff, who is the Scarlet Witch, uh, played by Elizabeth Olsen. And, you know, in the Avengers Infinity War, I think it is, um, Vision, the character who's played by Paul Bettany, who is uh, the boyfriend of uh, Wanda Maximoff, dies. And then Endgame happens happens and a ton of shit happens in that movie and then you're left and the character of Wanda Maximoff the Scarlet Witch is one of the most powerful characters in the MCU just hugely powerful character so basically all of the fandom was like well you gotta do something with this and she was so in love and what the fuck happened to it and it's this really beautiful series about grief and loss, but it's told through a history of American sitcoms. Mm. Each episode is a different era of American sitcoms while there is a kind of present day what the fuck is actually happening um, with uh, other present day characters of the MCU trying to figure it out. But it's really Elizabeth Olsen and Paul Bettany playing versions of these characters having a happy life, or is it? Mm. Um, and it was really immersive. I, I got into it about halfway through and, and was really impressed impressed by it. And mm -hmm. I, I'm, you know, there's tons of criticisms about the MCU. I don't mind the MCU as a film fan and film critic. I think they're doing something really interestingly and really well. Yes, I wish there were smaller films out there. Yes, I wish X, Y, and Z. But for what it is, I think they're doing good work. And I thought WandaVision was definitely the most successful for me iteration of this kind of limited series format. They also had um, the Falcon and Winter Soldier. There was Loki. There was uh, Hawkeye which just wrapped up. But I, I just thought WandaVision was like a really big swing. Yeah. High concept, but really funny and inventive and ultimately really emotional. And it really gave this character a proper setup for, I think, the next phase of the MCU. So um, I just really appreciated it. And it was really engaging. And it was a great thing to be distracted by this year because it also felt really human. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the throwbacks to more comfortable times of nostalgic TV is And then questioning nice. what that means. Oh. Like, there's a lot of stuff in there that, again, I think the MCU at its best will do very smart things in a very entertaining way. Mm-hmm. You know, spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down kind yeah, of yeah. thing. And, and I think it is. Like, how do we cope with deep loss? What do we retreat into? Um, and everyone's great. I mean, Catherine Hahn, who I love is uh, in it and she basically just kind of steals the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think she'll be popping back up in the MCU, which is exciting. Um, so I, I, that was, again, surprised me. I wasn't sure what to expect from it, but it was high concept and for me it delivered. Cool. I was interested in it, but I have to say I, a lot of the MCU stuff has, um, you know, I missed it when it started and then I felt like I was running behind and I had mm-hmm. to catch up and now it feels super overwhelming. And so, you know, if you are not super cognizant of the MCU, can you just jump into it? I think so. Yeah. they. I mean, I think it stands alone, but it also works as part of the larger movement Mm -hmm. of it. And they do do certain callbacks to, you know, things that happened in the previous films to explain it. But you, I think you can just jump in and watch it and enjoy it and probably get a lot out of it. Cool. Yeah. I will. Uh, I guess it's my turn. I have an audio book that I'd like to mention. Uh, Having smashed through Madeline Miller's books on Greek mythology, she would kind of do like a fictional take where she would focus on some misunderstood characters and give them, you know, their time in the sun, give them their own narratives and stuff. Having chewed through those, I checked out Mythos by Stephen Fry, Mm -hmm. which is essentially the same thing. It's, you know, it's it's a great storyteller who loves Greek mythology, telling it in kind of more modern terms and, you know, and then Hercules said, what the fuck, man? And like, so if you're interested in Greek mythology, if you've always loved it and found it maybe a little stale, a little bit context-specific, I think that's a really fun listen that I'd recommend. And of course, he narrates the audiobook himself because nobody else can do what Stephen Fry does. No, that is a wonderful voice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If not a bit problematic in his person or, you know, yeah. the takes, but he has a beautiful voice, like his, his actual audible voice. His delivery is great. Yes. Um, next on my list um, was something we actually saw together. Uh, it's a documentary called Jagged by oh director Allison Clayman. Oh my God, I loved that. And I think it's on Crave now. Like yes, I just it signed is. up for Crave. So we've been like, It's on uh, HBO in the States. That's since right. Yeah. I am dying to see it again. I loved it. Yeah. Jagged is a documentary about Alanis Morissette, especially around the period of the release and tour of Jagged Little Pill. It's all about Jagged Little yeah. Pill. Yeah. Kind of catches up with her now and, and a bit which, you know, she's doing. Um, and that album and Alanis Morissette was hugely important to both Andrea and I growing up. And the documentary is really I felt a love letter to her and what she said and how she said it and what she grappled with at that time, especially how young she was mm-hmm. throughout the release and the tour. I think, unfortunately, the film got kind of mired slash forgotten about because right before like our screening, we saw it at TIFF, yeah. um, Alanis Morissette came out and basically disavowed it. Mm-hmm. It was like, I felt duped by it. I didn't want any part of it. And so I remember you and I were having dinner and I was like, oh God, I was just reading all this stuff and we didn't know what to expect. Mm -hmm. And then coming out of it, we were so galvanized. But then, like, what did she object to? Yeah. And there's some stuff where we were talked about, like, you know, some sexual assaults and untowardsness that I think is uncomfortable, Uh but I think they're also really necessary conversations. Uh And I felt like they were handled with a lot of honesty and clarity and directness, which I I think we need more of. Um, So it's hard to, you know, love this film in some ways, knowing that 
one of the main players behind it doesn't like it. It feels like a bit of a betrayal. But I hope that she maybe comes around to it because it certainly did not take away from my love of the album and her at all. In fact, it added to it. Same. So it's an incredible film. It's out now on HBO, so for streaming, rental, however you can get it. Um, And again, a great snapshot of the 90s and and what was going on at that time. How the cultural climate was to receive something like Jagged Little Pill from someone like Alanis. I thought that was so interesting. It reminded me of that Woodstock Mm -hmm. documentary about like this. It's part of that same series. Yeah, Yeah. Well, this is a time where women in rock were a thing. And, you know, she was branded as angry. The album was branded as angry. But in reflection, you know, there was one angry song amidst a lot of beautiful, hard-hitting songs, you know, about love, about empowerment and about being true and being authentic. And there's so much more to it. And I think it definitely brought up those feelings for me because I just, you know, think I, like I was 10 when it came out yeah, yeah. and I heard you ought to know and was like, Oh my God, what's this song? And I got my hands on the cassette. And I used mm-hmm. to listen to it every day. We did a whole um, episode about it on our Patreon. Um, but it definitely in thinking about it, it, it reminded me how much I love that album, how much I still love that album. And then, um, how, again, the, the documentary takes a lot of pains to point out how it was labeled as angry, how Alanis was labeled as this, that, and the other. And I've been kind of reflecting on how did I reconcile, and I don't know if I ever have, and I probably still am to some degree, reconciling loving that while also hearing this is an angry thing and you're an angry woman and this and that. Mm-hmm. So how, if I, I don't think I have probably reconciled loving and hearing this thing which spoke to me and then hearing this larger societal thing being said that like, this is angry. This is what a jilted woman does. Mm -hmm. Whereas, no, this is just a young woman's experience of the world. Yeah, which is why I feel like maybe it's something to not reconcile. Like, it's one of those dualities. Like, you know, as women working in horror, where a lot of people think horror is misogynist. Well, we have a feminist podcast on horror that's been going for 10 years. So maybe there's more going on than everybody thinks. Yeah. Cool. I love being reminded of that. Something else I would like to bring up, and again, this is an audiobook. I'm pretty sure I brought it up last year because uh, the Kingsbridge series by Ken Follett, starting with The Pillars of the Earth, these are huge, huge, huge books. And I devoured the audiobook of Pillars of the Earth. And last year, I chewed through the sequel and the prequel, A Column of Fire and World Without End, respectively. Mm-hmm. And I enjoyed them very, very much, especially when it comes to, I was telling you, a little bit about this before was that in the sequel, eventually the series addresses a period in history where history was starting to be recorded. And so there were figures in the book that appear, you know, in in the official records. And so now, you know, the historical drama and fiction is taking a bit of a real world edge. And I really appreciated how at the end of the audiobook, it was a list of characters that were fictional and a list of characters that were real, such that when you're listening to it, you're not like, I'm not getting a history history lesson. It's fictionalized, but I know a thing or two about some of these people. And I found that really transporting and I loved listening to it last year. Loved it. Nice. Yeah. Uh, next up on my list is a miniseries that is on Crave. Hooray. So you can watch it now. Mayor of Easttown, created by Brad Englesby. Um, it's a thriller murder mystery starring Kate Winslet about, you know, a small town that is besieged by a murder. Um, and it's very much about, you know, not only the murder, but also the people within the town. And, you know, the character is Mayor, Kate Winslet's character, mm-hmm. and the people around her and with the socioeconomic 
status of those people are, but it also just feels like really human. Um, and then there are these kind of like creeping mysteries on the side. And I believe it's six episodes. It might be seven, mm-hmm. but it's tight. Like it is um, a really intoxicating murder mystery. And and I often, when I watch murder mysteries, I can be a bit like, that person's the killer. I don't care. This feels really rote. And it this didn't feel like that. Uh-huh. It, it felt very fresh and inventive while still staying kind of true to a lot of the tropes of the genre. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just thought like, especially the female characters were really interesting and well-rounded and just really engaging and truly like shocking moments, like jaw on the floor, like the fuck. Mm-hmm. It, it was great. And again, it was totally immersive, uh, totally got me out of my headspace and really got me thinking and interacting with a lot of the content out there and, and what was being written about it. And there's a lot of great writing about this. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. That's fun. So I definitely like put that on your list. Don't, don't wait for Dustin. It's one it. thing. It's one thing to love something and feel like it's in a vacuum and being like, ah, oh, somebody else watched this with me. And it's another thing to watch it and love it and discover the subreddit and just dig yeah, deeper, yeah, yeah. And deeper and deeper. It's yeah. so great. So something else, which you can also watch on Crave here Goodness in Canada. Gracious. HBO was hitting it out of the park for me this, this year. What can I say? Sponsored by. Jesus, could you imagine? I wish. It's not cheap. No. But this this one almost went on like my best of horror list because every episode ended with me screaming into a pillow. Oh. Uh, it is the TV show Succession. Oh, uh, God, yes. I should have known. And it just wrapped its third season uh, created by Jesse Armstrong and it's kind of a vision of like a Rupert Murdoch Fox type owning family mixed with some of the Conrad Black Canadian family to this. It's basically this really high powered pseudo right wing family and the patriarch is Brian Cox Mm-hmm. Um, and it's about his adult kids and the people around them vying for his power because he's, you know, old, I think like late seventies and his eighties. Mm-hmm. And they're like, when are you going to retire? And he's like, you fucking come for me, Ooh. come for me. And it is this delicious, like scheming evil, like, and this series is so good at the Mr. X. Mm. Like you think like, oh, well that's going to happen. And they're like, nope, actually a seed we planted episodes ago that we carefully did. And you probably forgot about is going to come to fruition now. And you're just like, it's so good. It's so addictive. And I know it wins all the things and I think it wins all the things for good reasons. And it's oh, the swearing in it. The swearing is so good. Good swearing. Like just Uh, creative swearing? Creative swearing. And all the actors are excellent. So like Brian Cox just landing like, fuck you, fuck off, fuck what? Like just on and on and on. And you're just like, yeah. (laughs) It's wonderful. And I love it. And we had to wait so long for season three. And in my mind, it did not disappoint at all. And I just want season four now. Now. No, you have to wait. No. Okay, well, uh, another thing I got to throw in there, not on Crave, uh, but <laughs> eagle-eared listeners of the podcast will know, uh, and Andrea is well aware, I am a massive fan of The Real Housewives. Yes. As I have not been able to gather with my friends nearly as much as I want, I have been re-watching a lot of Housewives. I have been 
like, just put it on. Just It takes the edge off. But I wanted to give a shout-out uh-huh. to a couple really great seasons that aired this year. Mm-hmm. Um, the last season of Real Housewives of Beverly Hills I thought was fascinating, mainly because, and I haven't been the biggest Beverly Hills fan, but mainly because Erica Jane, one of the women, her husband, uh, who is this, like, top lawyer in L.A., uh, was found to actually be stealing money from widows and orphans from settlements. He got to fund their lifestyle. Um, so she tried to do this whole cloak and dagger where she like divorced him suddenly and then was like, I didn't know anything. And she has this whole facade as like a pop star of this career that he basically bought her. Mm-hmm. And it's so interesting to see the dynamics on this reality show of all the other women just try to like grapple and deal with it and like the shifting allegiances. I loved it. Also, shout out to a season which started uh, last year is going into this year, The Real Housewives of Salt Lake City. Again, another federal investigation on this one. Uh, one of the housewives, Jen Shaw, she's accused of being part of like a um, wire fraud scheme, oh, um, telemarketing, like stealing money from oh, old people. Boy. And the feds come after her in an episode. Wow. And she runs. She flees. A oh, she fucking runs. She makes up an excuse and runs. And then the feds show up to the, like when they're shooting. Oh my God. And then the episode after that, and all these women decide to go on this cash trip that they had planned. Uh That is fascinating and hilarious and like one of the best 40 minutes of TV I've ever seen. Okay. And then this one is just for any other Big Housewives fans out there. Uh, they finally released uh, what we've all been dreaming of for so long, a kind of all-stars cast. Uh, so it was called Real Housewives Ultimate Girls Trip, mm-hmm. where they took uh, some of the favorite or most notable cast members from some of their biggest franchises and had them go on a girls trip together to, I believe it was Turks and Caicos. And they all, it was just for seven days and they all just had to interact with each other in a house. You know, some people People said, oh, it wasn't enough drama. There is a bit of drama, but it was just mainly interesting to see these women interact with each other. Mm. And it's also the first time production has been fine with them breaking the fourth wall. Okay. And like, so they talk about what it's like on their shows and what it's like with like fans and press and like they interact with producers in different ways. Mm-hmm. And I just thought this is like really enjoyable. Oh. And um, your favorite housewife song, um, Money Can't Buy You Class. Money Can't Buy You Class. <laughs> That's right, Dante. Um, makes appearances on there. Brilliant. You know, you actually kind of spawned me onto something. You were telling me about the Real Housewives show that takes place in Australia. Oh, Melbourne, yes. Uh-huh. And how one of them was married to the drummer yes. Silverchair. So I mentioned that to Dustin because, you know, Dustin and I, we have very divergent musical tastes, except when you dial it all the way back to the 90s where we kind of meet. There's, there's an alternative grunge new metal moment where, you know, we can kind of sit comfortably with each other. And uh, and we got to talking about Silverchair, and I had remained a Silverchair fan a lot longer than most. Oh, um, do you fuck with Anthem for the year 2000? Uh, after that. Oh, wow! That, the stuff that they were making that came after that didn't get a whole lot of radio airplay no. here in North America, and I remember having to go to a special store when I was living in Ottawa to pick up their latest CD. Because oh my God, I'm just imagining like an Australian import store. Do you have the new Silverchair? Good day. Anyway, so uh, Dustin and I were listening to a bunch of Silverchair, and he's like, oh, I found out that there is a podcast mini-series thing all about Daniel Johns. Not just about Silverchair, but about Daniel Johns. And he and I smashed through it over the holidays. We had to do a lot of driving, a lot of visiting family, and we listened to it, and it was 
fascinating. And it really got me thinking because, I mean, you know, obviously Silverchair hit it big when he was very, very young, way too young. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's no small wonder that he wants to kind of distance himself from the music he made when he was 14. But so much stuff came after that. And, you know, the podcast kind of paints him as a musical prodigy who didn't live up to his promise because he hit fame so, 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 so early. Mm. And he talks at length in the podcast about how fame damaged him and damaged his mental health so bad that it manifested uh, physically in ways that were really, really interesting. And he's got a new solo project coming out that I'm sure this miniseries was designed to promote. But yeah, if you were ever a fan of the band and um, were wondering what they were up to, I thought it was a really interesting miniseries. I also just love the way that like podcasts are kind of, they're just finding like maybe not new formats, but they're being utilized in different ways. Uh Um, And I think it just speaks to the strength of this format. Yeah, for sure. Like even remember how much we loved uh, Chernobyl, that miniseries. It was all about the podcast that was talking about in Succession as yeah. a podcast tie-in yeah. as well. Uh, speaking of music, I wanted to mention uh, one of my favorite bands from this last year. And, you know, when Spotify does their, like, your ear wrapped. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I know who my most listened to band is going to be. Uh, but I thought it was interesting because they were like, these were your two feelings that you listened to. <laughs> okay, Spotify, armchair analyzing. Yeah, but things. it was like my, my two feelings were happy and yearning. What the fuck? Um, which I was like, you know what? That's kind of this band. Yearning music to me, please. Well, I'm going to. Um, I don't know, Andrea, if you remember the Canadian band, uh, The Weaker Thans. Ah, oh, I remember the name, but I can't yeah, think of the Yeah, I don't think they were quite your wheelhouse, but they're like a folk indie rock band. Yeah. Um, they are Canadian. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They're from Winnipeg, okay. uh, the prairies. And, um, they were around, like, I think I first got into them in like 2007 or so. Mm-hmm. And I believe their last album called reunion tour came out. I want to say 2011 or 2013, mm-hmm. but I was listening to them a lot during like a really not great period of my life, but I loved them. Mm-hmm. And then in this last year, I just really got back into music and they they were one of the bands I kind of rediscovered. And I mean, I've just truly like, I've been going on walks like a motherfucker this past year. That's where I found my happy place. Mm-hmm. And whenever I'm in, and it's like, I think most of us are like a mood where I'm like, I don't know what the fuck to do. And I'm walking and my thoughts are overwhelming me. And I'll just put on like, listen to the weaker thans and just put it on shuffle or pick one of their albums and just listen to it the whole way through. And it's like, whew, the temperature just comes down in the room in a really positive way. Mm. Um, so yeah, that's, I was like, yeah, I really, they were like my real crutch for this last year. Um, they, you know, sing a big, a bit about love, a bit about relationships, but it's also about like late stage capitalism and Canadian taxes and cats. It's just like wonderful, like catchy wordplay and like songs and yeah. So it's old weaker thans or, or is it? Oh, they're, they're basically defunct now. Okay. Yeah. They were, I think around kind of from the mid aughts to yeah, whenever that last album was like 2011 or 2013. So they haven't been, you know, around for a while, but just going back to them was kind of like reclaiming a bit of a period of my life, but they're also just like been something like a good place for me to be mentally. Cool. Yeah. All right. And then, uh, this is a very specific one. I'm sure some of you out there also enjoy ASMR. I enjoy 
enjoy ASMR quite a bit. And there's been one video that I've loved so much that my YouTube algorithm, it's just constantly on my like feed. Just <laughs> constantly. Right like it's always fucking there. And I'm like, you know what? You're right. I should probably listen to this again. And it's from W Magazine, which is like a fashion style magazine. Uh-huh. And they've uh, gone into their like YouTube content, as I think most brands have. Um, and I'm pretty sure they were one of the really early adopters of having celebrities do ASMR. Mm. Um, and it's a real mixed bag. There's tons of people, some who I know, some who I don't, all doing it. And some are really good. Some are really bad. Mm-hmm. And there's one uh, from the actor Olivia Munn. Um, she's been in the news recently because of, you know, a scandal involving John Mulaney and her having a baby together. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was like, what the and fuck I think is she's that? also been kind of like shitty to bloggers and stuff like that. Ooh. But I, uh, anyway, all I'm saying is this woman does a mean ASMR video. Okay, there's a lot of nice tapping. There's a lot of nice mouth sounds. Oh no! I know. God. That makes me want to take off my mouth. I know. Um, But uh, I think the video has like 2.7 million views, and I'm probably good for at least 10K of those. (laughs) Seriously. (laughs) Um, I don't know. If you like ASMR, we'll link it in the show notes, and and you can check it out and judge me. Weirdos. Yeah. Um, I want to give a quick shout out to two podcasts. Um, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I love a lot of podcasts. Obviously, two of my favorite horror ones, Gaylords of Darkness, um, Evolution of Horror. They're both friends of this pod. Um, but these are two non-horror ones that I wanted to just give a real shout out to because I really enjoyed them. One I've uh, mentioned before on this show, We Hate Movies. Uh-huh. It is a bunch of four cis straight white guys goofing on bad movies, but they all seem really lovely. But <laughs> their politics are really progressive and uh-huh. aligned with my own, and they're really fucking funny. And it's just this nice thing. Every time I see a new episode from them pop up in my feed, I know it's like a safe space that I can go to. And I'm not going to be like jarred by some kind of like edgy comic shit. Mm-hmm. It's like they're they're willing to you know call out bad shit that happens in real life, and and they're you know they have great guests on, and I really love it. It just helps get me through my week. A newer discovery for me this year is a podcast called Maintenance Phase, and it is hosted by Michael Hobbs and Aubrey Gordon, and it is a podcast about the shittiness of health and fitness culture. Oh, um, they basically will take diets fitness movements, all of that kind of nonsense, and basically spend usually around an hour debunking it, Mm. taking it apart, seeing where it came from, like just explaining it to you in a really accessible, thoughtful way. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I'll just link like we hate movies generally. And I'd say if you want to start with them, just start with a a film you're familiar with. For maintenance phase, I'm going to specifically link the celery juice episode. Okay. Because, you know, like people are like, I love celery juice. It does all of this stuff. I am aware of celery juice. I am not aware of people loving it. Well, people like tout it as this kind of miracle cure for things. And I never like bought into it. And I was just like, oh, it's like woo-woo garbage. And Uh it is woo-woo garbage. But the episode of Maintenance Phase actually traces back to where it comes from. And it is bananas. Hmm. Like bananas. So I'll link that episode in particular in the show notes. Mm-hmm. It's like I'm on YouTube. I'm just pointing down. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, if you're interested in that, do check that out. Nice. Uh, this favorite is a duo, Trixie Mattel and Katya. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah. 
I love them. Uh, they were two queens on RuPaul's Drag Race. They've since gone on to have a very successful YouTube career, uh, solo career. Their YouTube videos are something else. They're so funny. It's like a video podcast, but the editing, the visual effects that they use is hysterical. My friend Joanne lent me um, their book that they published, I think it was two years ago in 2020, um, lent it to me and I was reading it. I was like, oh, I really enjoy them. And I went back and I started watching the YouTube videos and I watched uh, the Trixie Mattel documentary and we oh, watched yeah, it we together. Watched yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, especially those YouTube videos, they're like 10 minutes of just like when the world feels like it's going to fucking crumble on you. And I just put one of those on and it just feels like, okay, it's not going to crumble on me quite yet. Or it, if it does, maybe it's fine. Yeah. Because they're not like bright, shining no. rays of sunshine. No. It's very like funny and caustic. Yeah. That's what feels good. Yeah. It just, again, it, it's like a lot of the things I'm, I'm recommending right now were things that just like let the pressure out of the valve a mm-hmm. little bit. You know what I mean? They just like kept the darkness away for a bit. Yeah. Well, that's probably why you're doing so well and I'm suffering because you've got these valves. <laughs> I mean, I did want to mention Twitch. Twitch is a Twitch is a platform that I decided to check out after we did our Cam episode and then I read Cam Girl and I was like, streaming, eh? <laughs> and so I decided to give it a shot. And so I started, I started streaming on Twitch and since then, Twitch has become my primary site of online entertainment. Like before I go to social media, before I even go to Reddit or YouTube, I see who's up on Twitch. And Twitch to me has come to feel like the most authentic content out there, the most authentic way to feel like you're actually connecting with possibly like-minded people. Mm -hmm. And my biggest complaint about Twitch as a platform is that discoverability is really, really poor. Mm -hmm. You're going to go to the search bar and you're going to search up something like horror and you're going to get three people with horror in their username and that's it. You know what I mean? So it's really hard to break into Twitch and to find your people, so to speak. But when you do and you turn into their show and you know everyone in the chat and you're like, hey, you, how's your grandma? You mentioned they weren't feeling well. How was your first day back at work? It is wild. It's been such a wild adventure for me, but like the barriers towards starting on Twitch are real. It is its own culture. It has its own norms. There's a lot of like alerts and shit going on that you won't understand, but if you're feeling lonely and if you're feeling like the content out there is just a little bit too manufactured and happy faced to really be comfortable right now, I really recommend checking out the categories. There are people who do jigsaw puzzles. There are people who live stream their fucking chicken coop. There's people knitting and crocheting. It's not just video games and it's not just chicks in hot tubs, I promise you. But are there chicks in hot tubs playing video games? There is all of Okay, great. And me. And you. (laughs) And me. But like also, uh, you know, Fallon Bowman, who who was the bass player for Kitty for many years, she streams. Catherine Isabel streams. Devin Townsend. Like, I I feel like it's it's not emergent. It was always huge, but it's starting to break out of the video Mm -hmm. game-centric base. And uh, yeah, it's yours to discover. Nice. Um, I have one last favorite, and it was my favorite film that was not horror. Yeah. Uh, And that's Pig from director Michael Sarnowski. I have it. 
I haven't watched it. I crave too. I don't know what my problem is. Every time I go to watch it, I'm like, nah, I don't, it might be Nick Cage. It's a very not Nick Cage performance. That's what I keep hearing, but he's a barrier for me. You know, it it was just one of those films. It came out, um, it had like a limited release, so we got it here in Toronto, and it was right after like cinemas opened here, and I got double vaxxed, and I was like, I'm going to the movies again. I was like fucking Nicole Kidman. And, um, you, <laughs> you know, that photo, yeah. <laughs> or you can use that whole fucking ad campaign. Um, in the cinemas, we feel love. Um, but yeah, so I just was like, oh, it's getting great reviews and, and I'll go fucking see it. I don't have anything to do today. I went to see it and what a just beautiful, lovely, heartbreaking, wondrous little film. Goodness. Just made me like believe in shit. Um, and now because it's on our uh, streaming service Crave here in uh, Canada, I rewatched it again, um, over the holidays because I was recommending it to so many people. Uh I was just like, I want to make sure it's like actually good. It's very good and it's still excellent and there was a part early on that I knew I couldn't watch because of something that happens to an animal and um, I just like put my head down to watch it and my cat Church just came over and like just snuggled really hard against me and I was just like crying. I don't want to watch that. Uh, It's about a guy who loses his precious truffle pig, right? Yeah. But finds something else. Okay. Yeah, it just, it's a beautiful film and it, it's incredibly well directed and shot and written. Like, like everything works so well together. And Nick Cage is very much like in, his character's in the driver's seat, but he's also just present mm. for it. He's not interjecting and it's like all the characters have to come through him okay. and he's this very kind of stoic character in it um and i was talking again to our friend allison lang and she and her partner were watching it and, and we were texting about it and i think they were making the point and forgive me allison because i'm not quite sure who said what but it was like the structure of an action film but instead of when an action scene would come it was like men actually had to have a conversation about their fucking feelings Oh. And I was like, bang fucking on yes. Okay. So it's, it sounds very upsetting, and sometimes it is. But it's also just about, like, what fucking happens when we talk about our feelings? Hmm. How are they received? How are they not received? And how ultimately do you move forward? It sounds like a lot. It's a heavy watch. It, it is and it isn't. Okay. Like, it's a very watchable film. Huh. It's really enjoyable and it's beautiful. And it's also about food. So I would also say, make sure you have food on hand because I got real fucking snacky during it. Okay. Uh, but it really, it's, it's a, I don't know, it just feels like a very human film. Okay. And it just kind of reminded me like, you know, when we're not all in epic despair, and sometimes when we are in epic despair for everything, there's still beauty and meaning. That sounds nice. It's very nice. <laughs> yeah, it's a very nice film, and I would recommend it. Dante's into it. I think Dante. he just sniffed out a truffle downstairs. Ah! Okay, before we take our next break, we want to take a quick moment to talk about things we're excited for, stuff that's been announced that's coming up next year that we're excited to see. I have four. Okay. I think some of these are pretty obvious. Jordan Peele's got a new one coming out called Nope. We'll be excited to see that. Yep. No matter what. Robert Eggers has a new one coming yep. out. The Northmen. I will watch the shit out of that no matter what. Adam McDonald, director, writer and director of Pie Wacket, has a new film about werewolves. Yeah, do you know what it's called? I do. Out Come the Wolves. Arr, 
Oh, cool. Yeah. So I just know about this because he posted uh, what looks to be a poster um, to his Instagram and a little like film canister emoji. And it just says 2022. So I'm like, give me it. 2022. We're in it. And I want it. And I want to see it. it. But it's going to be so long. The year, not Adam McDonald's film. I know. I just hope it's not one of those things where it's like, ah, until theaters open. But theaters are open everywhere else. Not everywhere else. They're so close in Quebec. (laughs) Ontario and Quebec. This is our Just, world. you know, two of the most populous provinces in Canada. Um, so that I'm excited for. Um, and then, of course, there is the brand new uh, David Cronenberg. What is being billed is a sci-fi film called Crimes of the Future. Interesting. So that is purportedly being released this year. Uh, I think it's Vigo Mortensen, Kristen Stewart, um, some other fine people. Yeah, I, I remember not that long ago being at like a kind of industry shindig and people just saying, ah, oh, Cronenberg's never going to direct again. He's mm-hmm. so old. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't know. He's like working a lot. He's doing a lot of acting stuff, speaking of Adam McDonald. Um, he, uh, David Cronenberg just starred in Slasher, Flesh and Blood, yeah. uh, which was also really fun. Very gory. Cool. If you're a gore hound, watch fucking Slasher, Flesh and Blood. Yowza. But yeah, I was like, I think you're counting him out too quick. Mm-hmm. So uh, then, yeah, they went uh, over to Europe and they shot it last year. So I'm very curious. Yeah, I'm curious. I'm excited. There's a new movie coming out called The Innocents that apparently deals with Nordic children who develop supernatural powers and wreak havoc. I've had my eye on that. I've had my eye on that for the magazine. So maybe I'll know more soon. Are you manifesting? No. <laughs> <laughs> that shit doesn't work, guys. I've tried. And, uh, you know, with the mention of The Vigil earlier and Keith Thomas, Yep. Firestarter. Firestarter is, I want to reread that. I've had that on my list knowing that there's a new film coming out. I'd like yeah. To like, I rewatched the original. And yikes. Remember the original. Yikes. I know I've seen it a number of it's times. It just doesn't good. stick because it's not good. It's not good. I mean, do you need George C. Scott playing an indigenous man? No. Hard no. Hard no. Um, but uh, we were lucky enough to connect with our friend Ryan Turek when he was in Toronto. So he was one of the producers on Firestarter. Nice. Yeah. And so, you know, he obviously couldn't tell us very much about it, but he was like, it's going well. The creative team is really cool. Um, I'm such a fan of the actor, Michael Gray Eyes, who is playing that character in the new film. And I was like, well, it's already like (laughs) shot way above that first film. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I think Ryan, like, he had like a really positive energy about it. So I'm curious to see what happens with that. And so, yeah, if you reread Firestarter, I haven't read it, obviously, but let me know how you get on with yeah, it because if it's good it then you. I'll then I'll maybe I give remember it, it being a quick read and it being kind of a, a running man not the movie running man but like the book running man like you know mutants on the run type thing mm. people have these powers and the government tries to take it back and no we're people yeah as you do as you do <laughs> so you know that's it for our non-horror faves our most anticipated for next year we're going to take another break and then we'll be back with some fun <laughs> yes. Should we tell them? No. Make them wait. Make Listen them. to some bloopers. And, and think then... about what you've done. Exactly. <laughs> Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Faculty of Horror, podcasting from the horrid halls of academia. Stop fucking making fun of me. Dancing to your cadence. <laughs> I was conducting. I just see you bobbing back and forth. Horrid halls of academia. 1977. 1979? Whoops. How did I get that wrong? Son of a fucking bitch. Can you hear me? 
Ew. These films are so stupid. They're so stupid. <laughs> the film opens with a crime scene. Ronnie DeFeo Jr. 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 Ah. My finger went into the sharp part. This podcast is cursed. Um, no imperial pleasures for you. <laughs> I just want to be bougie. Noise. Uh, uh, kind of uh, gas coming up. Um, how hon- And unexplained social forces. Sorry. Unexplained evil cork. Fuck a duck. I hope they buried him in a pet cemetery and then killed him again. Unmarked hole. Yes. Um, agreed. What happened to my cup? Oh. Maybe a ghost took it in. Maybe a ghost. The psych, the, 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 the psychobabble of dumb tits. No. The psych, stop. Wow, you're the, on your own journey right no now. Shit. This is weird. I think I'm being Are haunted. You possessed? Uh, pubescent girl time? Sure. By Rich Jazzy Wack. What? <laughs> By Rich <laughs> Jazzy Wack. That's not his name. Um, uh, pedophile sex ring. <laughs> Who did mother? I mean, our fathers. Oh, no, 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 no. That never happened. I was immaculately conceived. Gross. <laughs> so, bullshit. Yes. So bullshit and nothing. Hang on, I'm burp. No, I'm not. Yeah. Oh, don't do it right into the mic. You're such a middle school child sometimes <laughs> with your bodily functions. Gross. I know. I know. <coughs> she made a great face with that one. <laughs> I wish she could have seen it. Those foul women. How dare you? Do you have any plans to publish any more works of academic criticism? <coughs> That's our answer. Thank you. <laughs> um, kind of is. <coughs> what? I'm a lady. Oh. Oh. That's a nice little... It's a little dainty one. It's a little dainty one. We're not eating the chips. Twilight. Excuse me. It sounds like I'm crying. I'm just it burping. did. Are you choked up? I, I, I am a little choked up. Trailer. Trailer, trailer, trailer. I just realized we have ice in these drinks. Oh my God. Tinkle, tinkle, tinkle. Uh. Whoa. <laughs> that was a good one. Hmm. Uh. With notes of raspberry. <laughs> I did really... I'm going to burp. That's, this is what this is. Uh. Nice. Uh, noise. More. <laughs> More wine. BRB, guys. <laughs> this is the poisoned wine. <laughs> we have gotten to the point where we're ready to despair. It's an ugly reflect. It's an ugly reflect. Stop it. Stop it right now. Stop that. Uh, nice. Uh, yeah. Hello. <laughs> Dante says hello to you. We bid you greetings. <laughs> We're drinking Christmas beers. I hope you're cracking one while you're just quiet. You can't be like this. Don't be like this. Be quiet, okay? He won't. Oh, oh my God. Uh, a girl. Fuck. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Faculty of Horror podcasting from the Horrid Halls of... Horror Halls of Little Fuckers. You be quiet. It's a good thing you're fucking cute, Dante. However, and I talk about this a lot in my book. Hot. I talk about burping a lot in my book. Goodness gracious it's me. Beer. I haven't had a lot of beer lately. 
making me burpy. My R's. I mean, I can't imagine we're going to have too many bloopers. You've literally just... You shut your goddamn mouth. (laughs) (laughs) And that you can go back and explore something and... Fucker. Shit. Maybe let's intro that possible properly. Sorry? Let's intro that properly. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck me with a fork. All right. Hi, everyone. We are back, and we like to have a little bit of fun in this episode every year. to play a game. Oh. And uh, so as I mentioned in um, our last episode, I recently purchased several 90s teen girl magazines, Mm -hmm. and I flicked through them, and Andrea and I went over some of the quizzes, and we thought it would be fun to do one with you today. Um, So the one we have picked is from YM, Young and Modern, November 1998. YM was my favorite. I can't remember why, but it might have been the quizzes. Like, this was a regular call. Yeah, YM was my favorite, too. Mm -hmm. Again, I don't know why. It just was. And this is from... Um, their love quiz blitz. <laughs> the title of this quiz is "What is your couple potential?" And of course, YM and its heteronormativity means what is your romantic couple potential? But Andrea and I are a couple. Yeah, we're a couple of boss bitches, a couple of power ladies. Mm-hmm. We're not girl bosses, aren't we? We're like hag overseers. <laughs> we're not nasty girls. We're like love quits blitz. Yes, we're 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 people. And so I don't know. I think this is an interesting time. So let's take it back to 1998 mm-hmm. and see if we as a couple, if we're compatible. So uh, we're going to take turns reading out the questions and what the options are. We're yeah. going to answer them in what the other one would do or what we think the other one would do. And then we're going to score it at the end and uh, and see how we match up. See what our couple potential is like. And the byline here is some cuties are made for casual kicks. Others are built for lasting love. Which category does your crush fall into? To find out, take our totally revealing quiz by Elizabeth Daleski, who was probably 30. (laughs) I remember when we were looking through these and looking at the picture of the editor-in-chief and I was like, wow. She's neither young nor modern, but cool. (laughs) But she put together something we loved. That's right. Question number one. Woohoo! It's your birthday. What gift does your quote-unquote guy bring to your party? A, nothing. He didn't even realize it was a special bash for you. He must have overlooked the cake and party hat on the invitation. B, a silver locket and that Boys to Men CD he heard you talking about. And it says, aww. Uh, C, a killer present that he went in on with your best friend, but she picked out. So we are choosing like... What I, you would do for me and what I would do for you. Okay. So I am your guy. Yes. To your party. Yes. I'm going to say you were a B. I'm going to say that too. I mean, I it's fucked up that A is even an option. Mm. He didn't even realize it was a special. Like, what the fuck, guys? I mean, that's, I feel like it, there should have been some kind of like a thing in, in a print magazine where if you like ticked A, it just like reached up and like shook you by the shoulders. I should hope. And said, no, not him. <laughs> um, but at the same time, I can't imagine you like consulting Dustin for an ID. I can imagine no. the inverse. I can imagine him being like, uh, Alex, help. No. But I wouldn't ask your significant. But I, I feel would trust like that I know. Yeah. I feel like you would, if I, was like, you know, Andrew, I was really 
really get into boys to men. Yeah. You'd be like, here's that CD lady. That's right. What about you? Same. Oh, same. Sweet. I picked the exact same thing. Uh, yeah. Just for those exact reasons. Number two, morning glory. Your crush stops by early one Saturday before you've gotten around to showering. Oh no. Do you a invite him in? You've seen his hat head. He may as well see your bed head. B, get primped pronto. Do a quick quaff and slap on some makeup. Or C, ask your parents to answer the door and tell him you're still snoozing. Okay, so just the premise of this question, all that comes to my mind is like the Celine Dion meme where she's on the phone at like some kind of like star cast thing and it's just like, je téléphone la police. I don't know that meme. I'll show you in a second, but some of you out there must know it. Uh, but if you showed up at my door... On Saturday morning? There's a lot of weird already that's already a not thing. And I can't imagine, I can't even imagine, like, in the context that this is designed to be, my crush stopping by my house. Like, yeah, look my Italian dad in the eyes and say that you're yeah. see his daughter and survive to live another day. Or just, just in general. <laughs> it's Again, creepy. 1998 versus 2022, different time periods. But if it was today, I would, like, order a gun from Amazon. Yeah. So this one is kind of a no-brainer. It's like, you know, you have seen me without makeup numerous times. Uh, I don't know if you've seen me cry. I'm trying to think, like, what are the benchmarks of intimacy that I wouldn't want my... Do you cry? I'm kidding. I mean, <laughs> I've seen you get, like... I secrete. Yes. I've seen you get, like, teary-eyed. Um, mainly when I was like, no, Andrea. Yeah. Um, no more chips. JK, I've never, ever said that in my life. No. Uh, but yeah, no, I would invite you in. You, you've seen me up beyond my worst. So. No, no. A. That's an A. Three. So, what do your friends think of the boy you adore? Oh, shit. A. They're pushing you to make a move already. B, they hardly notice that you have yet another new object of affection. C, all they do is tell you about the other guys who'd be just perfect for you. Well, uh, going by our history, (laughs) I'm going to pick A because I feel like that has actually come up more than once where you've been like, I don't know, this person's talking to me and I'm like, yeah, yeah, they like you. Do it. Go get it. Do it. Go get it. And maybe it didn't work out. And maybe it didn't turn out to be true love. But that uh, that was my reaction. And that is kind of your reaction when guys are coming on to you. You're like, what? Yeah. But if I was like talking about my friends to my friends about you, mm-hmm. I mean, this is in a world assuming I have other friends than you, which is not true. Um, <laughs> no, they'd be pushing me to make a move already. Yeah. Because they're like, she's cool. She's into horror and has a brain. I should absolutely talk. Yeah. (laughs) Number four, how does dream dude treat you around his guy buds? So this is, we're thinking of this, like, how does Alex treat Treat me around around my other quote unquote friends, aka cats? All right. Is it A, like you're just friends? He's always egging you on to tell your funny stories. B, with a blasé vibe. What, her? I hardly know her. Jesus Christ. Yeah, is that blasé or is that fucking abusive? Or C, sweetly, like he does when you're alone together. Why wouldn't he? Uh, uh, <laughs> this is where the fallacy of our construct of this game fall apart. <laughs> kind of does. Uh, I don't know. Part of me is like, we're alone together a lot. Uh, but I guess... 
because we're friends. To be fair, you have great stories, and I constantly feel like I'm like, Andrea, tell them about blah, blah. You'll set me up. You'll so set I'm gonna me up. I'm going to say A. Yeah, but there's, there's... Oh, no, that's that's me. Sorry. There's definitely a lot of... No, I think then for you, if I'm talking about you, then I would say sweetly like you do when we're alone yes, together. Yes, yes. Yeah, so that's mine. Okay, all right. All right, so I'm picking A and you're picking C. Is that what's up? Only if you feel like it. I just... That was my instinct about it. No, yeah. I, I, I've, I'm always egging you on to tell your funny stories, for sure. For sure. <laughs> Egging you on. Five. Okay, five. Rack your brain. What's the best thing about your crush? A, they totally crack you up and they've always got something cool planned. So I'm using they pronouns now because it's a lot of he. It's a lot of he in here. B, uh, you go to the same school, uh, they live down the street, it's convenient. Red flag. That's the red flag option. (laughs) C, hmm, his gorgeous eyes, the way he always looks out for you, how tight he is with his family. You can't narrow it down to just one. I mean, you're laughing, but that's my pick. You've got gorgeous eyes. Oh, stop. You always look out for me, and you're very tight with your family, and I can't narrow it down to just one. They actually picked three examples that really apply. I won't be upset if I'm convenient. (laughs) If I take out family and replace it with Dante... Okay, I'm writing it down. How tight she is with her dog. Let's see. Yeah, okay. Yeah, all right. Not that you don't like your family. It just, you know. I don't. Six. What do you think would happen if you and your lust object <gasps> ever fought? A, you'd hash it out till you reached a compromise. B, fight. Ha! It wouldn't be worth wasting the precious time you would spend watching steamier soap opera clashes on TV. <laughs> Housewives. C. One of you would crack a joke to ease the tension and you'd be right back to having fun again. Well, if we ever fought. Not really. I've definitely been cranky Mm -hmm. and like irritated, but Mm -hmm. it's usually been not about you. Yeah. And it just. What it is we're up against. Yeah. And I like to think I catch myself pretty quickly and we'll just be like, duh. I think so I too. Hope so. I think if we're having a disagreement about something, we'll be like, let's talk about this later. Mm-hmm. So either one or both of us isn't in a, a collaborative headspace. Yeah. And then it'll be totally fine the next time we talk about it. Yeah. And Is it's that usually, one of the options and, in here? Is <laughs> hashing it out? Yeah. You'd hash it out too. We should compromise. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because yeah, I think it's important to note, like we both have day jobs. Yes. And like, there are times when I'm like, uh, I'll have like a bit more time and I'll like literally have a list of things for fac. Mm-hmm. And then you'll just be slammed and like, I'll try to like eke in stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But it's all, and, and same, like I'll just be in a shitty mood for no reason, mm-hmm. you know? It happens. It happens, but we've never, like, we've never, I don't fight. No. I don't like it. Well, no, nobody likes it, but I feel like if something's up, sometimes you bring it up and someone goes quiet and it never gets spoken of again, you know? Like, there, there's different there's different ways that women of our age group deal with conflict that yeah. I would call a fight, you know? Yeah. There's the passive-aggressive, where you let the friendship fizzle, or you hash it out till you reach I've had a couple, like, disagreements, which have almost borderlined. Um, and, you know, there's been some alcohol involved, but it's never gotten into a fight scenario. It's gone like, okay, you know, we're just going to disagree about this. Mm-hmm. And then we've come back to it later mm-hmm. and just been like, oh, you know what? I see your point now mm-hmm. or like that. So it's like, I try to always, it can escalate, but I always try to like, and thankfully I'm friends with a lot of people who are also like, just back off. Yeah. 
Because no one, no one, like, that's the thing is I feel like in fighting, there's like a win-lose mentality. That's right. And I don't want anyone who I'm close with um, to lose. That's right. You know? And I feel like that's situationally specific to like when you're in high school, like, yeah. you can't get out of the face of the person you're not agreeing with or when you're not in a good mood. Okay. Seven. What would your guy say if you invited him to a family dinner a week from Saturday? A, can't do it. I'm hanging with the guys that night. B, cool. Will your wacky Uncle Al be there? C, uh, can I let you know? I think my dad wants me to help him clean the garage. Heard B. Yeah. Family dinner at the West. Sign me up. I already invited you to Christmas next year. I know, and I'm coming. Oh, great. But if the roles were reversed, I mean, I can't see you blowing it off. I'm desperately curious to meet your family. (laughs) Okay, well, it doesn't say anything on here about, like, whether or not it would actually be fun. No, if you were like... My family members are in town, and I do you want to come? Yeah, I would be there. Yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. Eight. Love calendar time. How long do your single spells usually last? Wow. Okay, A. It depends on how often a worth it guy comes along. A worth it. Worth it is hyphenated. A worth it. Worth it's original. (laughs) B. Not long. You often have a new boy lined up before you dispose of the old one. Or C. You can't be bothered to measure your life in terms of guys. I think C just based on principle. I mean, C is kind of the the sassy snap snap answer, but like, are we talking about how long do your podcasting spells normally last? I mean, well, I mean, there's am only I going to ditch you the next time a worth it podcast I would love. You can tell me off mic who that worth it person is <laughs> who you ditch me for. Love to fucking I hear always that have one. a new podcast partner lined up before I dispose of the old one. <laughs> no, I guess C. Yeah, we've got it. We've got to bend in favor of the circumstances here. Okay, so uh, we're gonna add up our scores because it's one of those. Each letter corresponds to a different number. Uh-huh. Uh, so here's a little bit of music, and we'll be right back. Cha cha cha, Dante. I think that was Ashley Simpson. No, that was, no, um, uh, you want a piece of me, you want a piece of me. I don't know that song. It's a great song. Keep singing, maybe I'll get it. (laughs) No. (laughs) You get none of this. Um. I think our listeners will like it. Whatever. Fucking deal with it. Byronic. Don't you think? A little too ironic. You know, I really do think. Uh, for mine, when I when I rated Andrea's couple potential to myself, uh-huh. I had twenty two, um, and for nineteen to twenty four points, you are forever material. I knew it. What'd you get? Uh, I got twenty. Oh shit! Yeah, so a little bit lower, but still within that well, spectrum. I, gotta, I apparently have to step it up a little bit. Well, you're on the lower end of forever material. Well, let's see. Okay, let's see what forever material has to say. It means snazula. <laughs> you and boy bonito. <laughs> We're made to be a match. You bring out the best in each other, and your friends even feel good about your pairing. A good sign that it's the real thing. Just be sure not to lose touch with the fabulousness 
you that Wonder Boy is sure to fall for. Damn. But let's look at, I don't know about you, but like in the scoring, I think, you know, there's a definite implication that there's a right answer and a wrong answer. Yes. And we flagged a couple of red flags on here. So if it had been eight to 12 points. Yes. Then you are ready to fizzle. Seems like you're not so into this guy. And that's cool. A special click is rare. But with all that you've got going on, why not go for a prospect who's a? It's because meh hadn't been invented yet. <laughs> um, plus, once you settle for so-so, you may stop noticing other boys. Don't want that. Take off the blinders and you'll see your special someone when he does come along. Uh, well, I'm glad we're not there. No. And I'm kind of, you know, ready to fizzle is a light way of putting the red flags that we saw in this Yeah, quiz. light it with fire and burn it. So 3 to 18 is, you're fun for now. This dude-sickle. Ew. <laughs> this dude-sickle isn't destined to be your one and only. And that's fine with you. He is a tasty treat. And sometimes that's just what a girl needs. This free and easy outlook is perfect for casual dates, group outings, Oh, and light smooching, as long as you're honest with him and yourself about your not-so-wow feelings. Go on and try to surf this short-term romance wave. What's light smooching? Light smooching is... it just is... a series of, like, pecks, like... It's a free and easy outlook, which I'm sure I'm incapable. Yeah, no, I'm... I'm no. I don't, you're in or out. This is you. Do you remember when we tried to play Girl Talk? Yeah, we talked about that in the screen episode. Yeah, that, you know, and, and this is ringing of that. Like, there's some big red flags that's not ready to fizzle. It's like, no, run away. Yeah. <laughs> run he away. He's going caps. to rape and murder your mother and then come after you the next year. That's right. This is Billy Loomis territory. This is so not Snazzola. Well, I do have another one. This is one of those choose your own adventure kind of questions. Okay. Should we try this and then we'll, we'll wrap it up? Yeah, let's do it. Are you a big mouth? So this is another quiz uh, from another YM. Uh, this is from June, July, 1996. Um, and the byline here is, follow the arrows to find out if you're totally tight-lipped or a human megaphone by Jackie DeVoy. Okay, so are we going to... We'll take turns, yeah. ...plot our own trajectory yeah. and share? So I'm not going to... Do you want to do me first and I won't look? I'm going to do you first. Okay. Yeah. So start here. Does she generally talk a lot? I mean, generally, when it's you and me, yes, but you're not you're not a loudmouth like in large groups. I'm going to say no. Does she tend to oops, say the wrong thing at the wrong time? That's another no. Have you ever kept a secret for longer than 2 years? But this is you. Has she me. ever kept a secret for longer no. than 2 years? You're saying no. I'm thinking no. You've never revealed a secret to me that lasted longer than two years. So if someone is talking about your bud behind her back, does she have a right to know? Yes. It's not even a question. Have you sworn to keep a pal's secret and then told just one person? No. 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 Did you just say yes? <laughs> Do you often wish you'd kept your big mouth shut? Uh, but I'm talking about you. Yeah. That's a no. You hear some fab, but possibly untrue gossip about a girl you dislike. Do you keep quiet? No. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Fucking true. 
All right. And that's not just gals. That's, that's fucking anyone. That's Seriously. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm an equal opportunist. Okay. Well, you're, you're something else according to this quote. Oh, sure. But I will, uh, shall I tell you now? Yes, tell me now. You are a cool confidant. What? While you're normally trustworthy, you occasionally get a kick out of juicy rumors. Yes, you're always good for a little gab, but your buds know that their serious secrets are safe with you. That's why they confide in you. If you vowed to keep something quiet, you try to do exactly that. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean... I love gossip, though. You do, but like, you don't blabber about it to anyone but me, so it's hard for me to answer, like... This is my thing, is my circle is so tight. Yeah. But all of my... not all, but I feel like a lot of my close friends are extroverts, uh-huh. so I tend to get info sometimes. Okay, yeah. Um, but I don't really have anyone to share it with. Well, I'm on the other end of the spectrum, so do yeah. it for me and see where we get. Start here. Does Andrea generally talk a lot? <laughs> In social situations, yes. Yes. And I think we're, I like to think we're a bit more measured in person, but Andrea is one of those people who will like invite a bunch of people to a party who don't know each other and like make the party happen and like connect people, which is a very good thing. Oh, thank you. I also fill silence with, you know, I'm uncomfortable with silence. So I will babble, for example, right now. Okay, so uh, we're going to say you generally talk a lot. Yes. Has anyone ever accused you of being a gossip? I don't think so. Uh, not to my face. <laughs> that it doesn't count if it's not to your face. Um, do you feel that other people's problems aren't always as serious as they think? I don't know. I mean, these are shitty questions, so... <laughs> I'm not even tell you what bottle of wine we're on and where we are at in it. Um, I'm going to say yes. Yes. Only because I'm privileged. Um, but Andrea does take shit seriously. So uh, when when it is, but she doesn't baby people. Uh, do you think when someone tells you a quote unquote secret, it usually means that they actually want you to spread the word? No. No. If someone is talking about your bud behind her back, does she have the right to know? Andrea, yes, is will always tell you everything she hears. Uh, then yes. Um, have you sworn to keep a pal secret than just told one person? Uh, I don't think so. Which is so funny because I remember when I separated from my then husband and I was like, Andrea, I don't want to fucking talk about it. Spread it around. Mm. It's fine. And you told like no one. <laughs> So I literally had people this last year be like, oh, my God, you guys are separated and divorced? And I was like, yeah. Whoops. Uh, So that is how I'm answering that one. Mm -hmm. Do you wish, answering for Andrea, she just kept her mouth. Do you often wish you just kept your big mouth shut? I feel like no. (sighs) You're being kind. I mean, I feel like we'd all say that about ourselves, but I've never heard you say anything untowards about anyone. And if it was, it was ultimately true and ultimately was revealed in a much bigger way. Let me say no. You hear some fab, but possibly untrue gossip about a girl you dislike. Do you keep quiet? Nope. Uh, You are also a cool confidant. Cool confidants all around. We're normally trustworthy and occasionally get a kick out of juicy rumors. The other options you could have been in uh, this very visual thing. Uh, are a big time blabber, um, or you're a victim of loose tongue syndrome, or a zipped lip chick. When asked to keep a secret, you take it to the grave. Yeah, it's, it's, this is again, it's kind of a weird, flawed quiz where like we're talking about very specifically within this tight friendship. I think, generally speaking, I'm a bit of a blabber. Um, 
But, you know, I keep confidence in people who are close. Yeah. Well, there is one more quiz. Okay, let's do it. And this is not this is not about friendship. This is not about our couple status. Oh, what's your Hollywood style from the dorky cool style of Rushmore to the hip-hop chic of Shazel? Shut up. <laughs> Shut up. There's nothing hip-hop about She's All That. The movie looks you love can say a lot about your personal style, according to Lisa Mulcahy. And this is from Seventeen Magazine uh, and the May 1999 issue. May 99. So we're going to answer these for ourselves. Yeah. And I've got to say, 99, I was, uh, like, about to graduate from high school. I, I might have been about 17. Okay. Yeah, I was 14. All right. And yes, Alex, yes. I'm younger. <laughs> all right, all right. I'll start. Uh, no one could believe it when you came to class wearing a tiara <laughs> like Gwyneth in Shakespeare in Love. I don't think she wears a tiara. Though. I mean, there's a picture of her where she's dancing, and I don't see a tiara. And I feel like if I were to rock a tiara, it would be a lot more uh, live through Queen this of the love. Oh, yeah. Than, a little kinder horror. The next movie you can't wait to steal a look from. Is it A, Austin Powers, The Spy Who Shagged Me, Those Micro Minis and Go-Go Boots Are Simply Groovy, baby? Is it B, Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace? How dare you even mention this movie in polite company? Natalie Portman may have gotten her off-white wrap dresses long ago in a galaxy far, far away, but you think they'd be great for this season, too. <laughs> C. Dick. The patchwork hat and plaid peacoat that Kirsten Dunst wore when she bumped into Richard Nixon at the White House could be cute for spring. Hmm. I'm gonna say C. Dick. Oh, I was going with B for you. Well, you're answering for yourself, so. Oh, uh, for myself? Yeah. Okay, so, uh, Micro minis and go-go's, patchwork hat and plaid peacoat is a nightmare. These are all nightmares. There is absolutely no black vinyl here. I'm going to stick with B. Yep. Two. The drama club is putting on a salute to the movies and you get to direct a scene from any period picture you want. Mm. You decide to restage A, A Midsummer Night's Dream. You adore the sweeping gowns. Now, only if you can get your guy friends into tights. B, Pleasantville. You're hitting the vintage shops for wool twin sets and poodle skirts, just like the one Reese Witherspoon wore. C, The Wedding Singer. As a Van Halen fan, you feel parachute pants, really big hair, and an entire 80s heavy metal fashion scene has been unfairly overlooked. I mean... C, for me... A weird trick question, because it's like you get to direct a scene from any period picture, and then it's just all about costumes. It's like there's more to directing than what they're wearing, right? Well, yeah. Not for the 17 readership there is. No, I know. I feel like if you were actually directing a scene and making it cool, it would be Pleasantville. But style-wise, yeah, I'm C as well. Parachute pants. Really big hair, I can't help, in yeah. fairness. Number three, you daydream about your crush in IMAX dimensions with Dolby surround sound. No, I don't. <laughs> no, I don't. I daydream about my crush on mute. <laughs> He's always dressed like A, James Manderbeek in Varsity Blues, jeans, and a football jersey. B, Jason Schwartzman in Rushmore. There's something exceedingly cool about a guy in a school uniform, even if he never ever takes it off. 
<laughs> or C, Will Smith, an enemy of the state, age inappropriate. $1,000 Italian suits with silk ties and handmade shirts. Hey, it's your fantasy. Well, as much as I always want to scream at my crushes, this is not your laugh or whatever the fuck he yells in Varsity Blues. Uh, I'm going to go with Rushmore, mainly because I love the movie Rushmore. Yeah. I like a guy in uniform, but not a school uniform. You know, I like mm. uh, firefighters and such. I'm going with A. Okay. Four. To celebrate summer, you decide to change the hue of your dew. You head to Here We Go Again, armed with a photo of A, Christina Ricci's light brown locks and 200 cigarettes. If she can lighten her hair a shade or two, why can't you? B, Claire Dane's blonde pixie cut in The Mod Squad. Short, sun-kissed hair is great for summer, and dark roots will look so cool in the fall. C, Sarah Michelle Gellar's dark brown layered cut in Cruel Intentions. Her hair was so great, she was almost forgivable. Totally forgivable. Yeah. And beyond her dark brown layered cut, everything she fucking wore in that film was goth goodness killer. I'm C. I'm C too, because I have dark brown hair and a layered cut well, yeah. since forever. Like the options are light brown locks and a blonde pixie cut. I mean, I do love Christina Ricci and 200 Cigarettes. Yes. That is a great movie. True. Number five. Friday is opening night of 10 Things I Hate About You. You call your girl Larissa to coordinate outfits, and you both decide that a comedy like this calls for A, floral capris and sleeveless tees. Sleeveless tees. What a nightmare outfit. Sorry, unless that's what you're picking, in which case it's lovely. B, ankle-length skirts, stretchy three-quarter sleeved tops and sandals or C wide leg Levi's silver tab jeans hoodies and sneakers um I could never imagine calling you to be like Andrea we should coordinate outfits could you imagine we couldn't have different styles and or body we are the 180 of each other (laughs) um I think okay so I want to preface this by saying in 1999 Mm -hmm. I would have picked B ankle length Skirt. Yeah, I would. I loved a three-quarter length top in, yeah. in my heyday. But Alex, now I will say wide leg jeans, hoodies, and sneakers. It's probably the closest I would do. Yeah. Friday is the opening. We're going to coordinate outfits for a comedy like this. What the fuck? I just like remember when. I don't know. Is this a thing? Did I teenage wrong? <laughs> no. Definitely never had a pal named Larissa. <laughs> I did. Oh. I made a falling out. Oh, that's too bad. Was it over your floral capris? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's dark. I don't want to talk about it. Six. Ooh. Not that fashion should be a concern when your life is at stake in a horror flick, but what style would you choose for your death-defying escape? Now we're talking. Yes, please. Okay, A, the slim Tommy Hilfiger jeans and zip-up sweatshirt Jordana Brewster had in The Faculty. B, the white midriff-bearing tee and black leather jacket that Katie Holmes sported in Disturbing Behavior. C, the cotton pants and flowery blouse that Brandy wore in I Still Know What You Did Last Summer. Capital B. I want to say B. If I was cool like Andrea, Mm -hmm. I would be B. But I'm going to say A. A is not far from B. No. I I think my my thing with B is the midriff bearing. Yeah. If only because if I'm running... 
or from uh-huh. a killer. I don't uh-huh. know. I just feel like like a stretch of fabric at that height could catch on something more than like a hoodie. But I guess hoodie might have it has a hood. I don't. <laughs> it's the Tommy Hill figure that rubs me off. As it should. I mean, I did a whole. We did a whole fucking thing about Tommy Hill figure yes, in the faculty did. episode. Number seven. The phone rings. Your sister screams that it's Steven Spielberg. He Again? wants to film the story of your life. I hate when that happens. Just a typical Saturday afternoon when Steven mentions the names of actresses who might play you. <gasps> you suggest a Jennifer Love Hewitt. She's got the girl next door thing down pat. Oh. <laughs> Holy shit. I just turned the page to a giant quarter page <laughs> ad for Joey McIntyre's solo album available at Target. Holy shit. Remember when he tried? Bless him. B, Rose McGowan. She's edgy and would look good in goth. <laughs> C, Cameron Diaz. Like you, she can really work the pastels. I really feel like you're a C. What? JK. How dare you? Okay, I'm, I'm, I gotta pick my girl, Jennifer Love Hewitt. I'm Rose. And you're Rose. After weeks of searching, you finally decided on a prom dress. It most closely resembles A, Sarah Michelle Gellar's backless ball gown in Simply Irresistible. B, Rachel Lee Cook's strappy red mini dress with a bow in front from She's All That. C, the white halter top pageant dress that Kirsten Dunst flaunted down the runway in Drop Dead Gorgeous. I did have a kind of black version of Rachel Lee Cook's dress that I loved in high school. I mean, it doesn't say what color Sarah Michelle Gellar's dress was. I've never seen Simply Irresistible. It's weird. She like communicates with crabs and has a restaurant. Okay. Uh, I mean, had they said, because when I think of prom at this point in my life, I think of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And it's like, do you have anything in removable trains so I can kick some vampire ass Mm. in the later hours? But that is not an option. Um, My prom dress was red. I guess I'm B. Yeah, I'm going with B as well. Nine. In a few years, when you float down the red carpet to accept the Academy Award for your stellar debut performance, you want to look A. Elegant. Like Minnie Driver did at the 98 Oscars, decked out in a breathtaking low-cut scarlet gown. B. Funky. Like Jenna Elfman did at this year's Golden Globes with wild, chopsticky hair. Yikes. That's an adjective. C. Comfortable, like Lauren Hill did at the Grammy Awards in a muscle t-shirt and a long, flowing skirt. I'd go with A. Lonely Driver? Yeah. I feel like I remember that dress. It was, like, really simple, but, like, the the moment of it was, like, the really deep cut down the front. Uh, And it was, like, really simple, just, like, slick back hair. Mm -hmm. And it was, like, really classic, but, like, a little edgy. Although the Lauren Hill. That's what's calling to me, and not because yeah. it's comfortable, but it just sounds badass. Yeah. I'm a C. Yeah, I feel like you're a C and I'm an A. All right. And no one is a B. <laughs> no um, one should be with wild chopsticky hair. No. <laughs> no. Who wants to go funky to the Golden Globes? And who the fuck was Jenna Elfman again? Was she, she was in Dharma and Greg, That's and she's a Scientologist. Right. Yeah. Okay, 10. Last Question. Which of these R&B divas in training would you most like to see bring her smashing style to the big screen? A. Monica. She'd be lovely in a sparkly gown appropriately accessorized with a rhinestone clasped updo playing a Hollywood drama queen. B. Lauren Hill. You can see her in an action flick clad in cargo pants and running shoes fighting crime and saving the world from certain disaster. C. 
Maya. Picture her wearing exotic print skirts with flowers in her hair. She'd rule in a small artsy film, breaking some poor guy's heart. Hmm. Just Lauren Hill. Big time. I mean, that's I wish the we had film Aaliyah. that I want to be in. I wish we had Aaliyah, and I wish Lauren Hill's trajectory had have gone that way. It's Maybe it's so good. Maybe. Okay. Let's do the math. Take a little pause. Enjoy a brief interlude of music. We will be back. Trailer, 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 trailer. I'll put the trailer in here right now. Doing the trailer, trailer time. So basically, we're wondering if you're going to produce our Faculty of Horror album. <laughs> Academic acapella. Academa? <laughs> Acapelia? Acapelia. Sounds, it sounds like something Dante would have. <laughs> a condition he would have with his genitals. Uh, so my final score is 19. Ooh, I got 16. Ooh! I think that's actually a different... Uh, We're different. It's a different threshold of result. Do you want to go first? Sure. So for 10 to 16 points, um, again, you cannot see which points are ascribed. That is part of the joy of recording in person <laughs> um, with printouts. Uh, I am celeb cool. You'd rather wear a pair of orange on black New Balance sneakers than try to balance yourself in open toe wedge sandals. True, because I'm also very tall. Also, side note, Andrea, there was someone somewhere on some internet place that was like, I, I think I'd mentioned in something that I was taller than you. Mm -hmm. And someone was like, wow, that's weird. I always thought Andrea was taller. Guys, I'm minuscule. And that is what we call a Napoleon complex. <laughs> Sorry. I get it from my dog. <laughs> I just thought that was very funny. Um, but I don't generally wear heels because I'm 5'10". Um, for you, fashion is functional. Wick says the coolest item... Who's Wick. Uh, Wick says the coolest item to have in your closet is still a great pair of cargo pants. She would pair them with an anorak and high-tech fabric for a funky unisex look. Blah, 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 blah. Ever notice how Drew Barrymore can look girly and tomboyish at the same time? So borrow from your dad. After all, two closets are better than one. Wow. Uh, okay. So Wick is, if you look at the highest scoring oh, okay. category Sorry. that neither of us got, that was Hollywood glam, fashion stylist Constance Wick, who has dressed celebrities and models for high style events like New York City's Fashion Week. Blah, all right. Blah, 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 calm blah. down, Constance. Well, I mean, but that is bonkers. That is not you at all. Fashion is functional. No. Really? I feel like I'm functional. I feel like you're functional, but you're not like, I don't know, you're not going to show up in a jogging suit to anything. No. You know what I but mean? But I am comfortable. You are comfortable. Uh, I got movie mod at 19, which was 17 to 24 points. You get your fashion inspiration from Christina Ricci or Claire Danes. Then you're part of the mod squad. You know that truly hip clothes are really just a blast from the past. There's nothing like vintage clothing, says Dina Appel, the costume designer for Austin fucking Powers. Her fave vintage spots include New York City's 26th Street Flea Market, as well as stores like Aardvark and American Rag in LA. For those of you who live elsewhere, Appel's got a secret. I find lots of great places and small town salvation army shops. The idea is to borrow a style from another decade without looking like you're stuck in a time warp. Hot 
tips. You guys all came here thinking, I'm going to listen to this horror podcast, and now you're coming away with a totally new outlook on fashion. A totally false one. You're picturing Alex in a leisure suit and me in vintage. Not the case. No. Not so. But yeah, that's that's our fun. (laughs) That's why this is fun. And I mean, I think a lot of this is like ideation, right? Yeah. It's less about who you are than who you aspire to be. No, and none of this is like obviously not prescriptive, but I think this was just a great way for us to kind of, in in some ways, start poking at who we are when we were kids. It's like you have three options. Which of those three options are you? That's right. And it starts to slowly guide you towards something. Toward these archetypes, really. Maybe I should start doing these in Room Org. (gasps) I want to start writing these quizzes. Die. I would die and this would become the first fucking thing I did in each and every one of them. What's your horror fan style? Are you a neckbeard? Are you an A24 snob? Or are you an indie darling? I love this idea, okay? We gotta just sober up and remember this. That was really fun. That was really fun. That was really fun. Thanks for printing these. Uh, You're you're so welcome. I'm so glad you have this large picture of Joey McIntyre. Me too. And it's from a solo album. Stay the same. Don't worry, Joey, you are. It's a smash hit that I've never fucking heard in my life. Don't miss Joey on tour soon. And yet, like, look, there's a a website. Uh, JoeyMcIntyre.com for all the latest info. Yeah. Honestly, I swear to God, I've got... Oh, I want to say seven or eight of these magazines. Yeah. And just like you were looking at them last weekend. I couldn't tear my eyes. <gasps> no, I brought them out to show you these quizzes just to be like, is this something we should do? And it was just like, I lost Andrea at a sea of them. And then yeah. I went and got the rest and I was like, this is fine. I'm yeah. happy to sit yeah. here and <laughs> look through them. <laughs> and it was the ads more than the editorials yeah. that were really getting me. And just looking at the masthead and looking at the shots of these people at like who are, you know, calling the shots and, and yeah. shooting. And so generation. many of them, like I remembered. Yeah. Like I remembered consuming that content. Yeah. Uh, the nineties. Good times. Yeah. Well, this was our year in 2021 um episode review year thing. Next year, when we record best of 2021, I will be like, remember when we did those quizzes? Or will we record best of 2022 next year? That was year? fucking great. That's what I meant. <laughs> I'm talking about next year. We'll be talking about now. Oh, yeah. Oh. I just broke Alex's brain. <laughs> I just glitched the matrix right now. <laughs> I love Joey McIntyre. It's okay. Let's blame the Prosecco. You guys, it's going to be another year. This was 2021. What? Right now is 2021. Yes. Yeah, so we did our year in review. So next year in 2023, we'll be doing our year in review in 2022. <laughs> but we'll be reviewing 2021. No, we just reviewed 2021. Oh, you're right. <laughs> oh my god, he's just trying to gaslight me. No, I didn't. It's not gaslighting if it's an honest mistake. <laughs> is there a quiz about gaslighting your best friend? Because if there is, I, I maintain that I would get the no I'm fault, no foul. Yeah, we're fucking done. Listen, guys. Hey, it's time to announce next episode. Yes. Uh, next month. So for February 2022, we are going to be talking about something that actually a lot of our listeners have brought to us. And we just thought, you know what? It's time. Let's do it because it's bleak enough as it is. So we are going to be talking about elder horror, horror involving old people. So we're going to be talking about two really different films. We're going to be talking about Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. And we're 
talking about Relic from 2020. Um, certainly Relic um, was something that a lot of people wanted us to talk about. And um, we thought that with whatever happened to baby Jane could be a really good um, pairing together. So that is what will be coming to you next month. In the meantime, we have lots of stuff on Patreon, yes. um, including something we're about to record. Some about, changes. Uh, some changes coming to our Patreon and maybe some disappointing horror of 2021. I don't know. Oh. We don't talk shit. Us? No, just no. behind a paywall. Um, but we, we do have a ton of content on Patreon. So if you are so inclined, it's a great way to support what we do. Uh, and you get a ton of extra content from us. And um, if you can't do that, that's absolutely no worries. Please make sure you are subscribed to us on whatever podcatcher you use. Please leave us a review there. Uh, that really helps the show. And yeah. um, uh, fuck, to, to another fucking year, my love. Office hours are closed. It had something to do with the rain Leaching loamy dirt And the way the back lane came alive For a while I heard you Missing steps in the street And your anger pleading In an uncertain key Singing the sound that you found for me When the winter took the tips of my Wow.